We're to run the plasma lab as you built a robot? <laughs> yes, we did, Trisky. His name is Monty. Well, if you have any delusions about entering against my robot, the Quipsy Quippler, in the Southern California Robot Fighting League Round Robin Invitational, a.k.a. the SCRFLROI, his name is going to be Squat Metal. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be here. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today, live, in person, vaxxed, and boosted, in the rock room, please welcome returning guest, but it's been a long time. It's been a while. Mr. John Ross Bowie. Hey, John. Pat, it is so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Now, first things first, I want to get this, I want to get out the promotional stuff immediately, and we'll do it throughout, but I don't want to drop the ball on this. You have a memoir coming out on November 8th called No Job for a Man, written by you. No help. I don't see like... No wh- help, no. I, I don't see like with blah, blah, blah. No, no, it's all me. It's all me. I do not... Um, I don't think... A couple of reasons um, why I don't have a ghostwriter. Um, I don't think my publisher could afford one. Um, and I, I think... Um, I, I've been writing longer than I've been acting. And I think it... I'm not going to say it came easy to me, but... Um, I, I, it was the sort of thing that I could sit down and organize myself pretty well. I mean, I had an editor, obviously. Right. I had a copy got, editor. I got notes from agents and I, you know, I, I didn't completely, uh, go into this blind, but no, that's, that's for better, or for worse. That's all me. Now, are you approached by a publisher or do you write this book first and then you shop it around? Little of both. I was approached by an agent who said I should put together a book proposal with some sample chapters, but then I just kept writing sample chapters until finally I just had a manuscript. <laughs> okay. And they're like, okay, we'll go out and we'll sell the we'll sell the book, not the proposal, which was great because but a lot of people get a book advance and then, you know, they're under the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, my book was done. I got a little bit of money and uh, off it went to the printer pretty much. And this is Pegasus Books. It's under the Simon & Schuster umbrella. Mm-hmm. The title, I know uh, in the book you say where this title came from. Would you like to share it with the audience? No Job for a Man. No Job for a Man is a quote about the acting profession that my father said a little too much for my liking. Um, he attributed it to Spencer Tracy. Um, and I think my, you know, the whole book is, is predominantly about my relationship with my father and it's not like a mommy dearest slam piece, you know, you know, pissing on his grave kind of thing because that's not the relationship we had, but we had a complicated relationship. You'll be shocked to learn as I am in comedy, but, um, (laughs) uh, but we, I think this was a guy who, who harbored a very deep deep-seated need to be a storyteller. And if that meant acting, if that meant writing, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think he had an exact vision for it. But I think he thought that pursuing something like that as a career would be too frivolous and too risky. Um, And And, and that's true. And it is true to a certain extent. You know, it is a very, very chancy line of work. Um, but But if you're going to not risk it, 
then I strongly recommend you don't take it out on your family, (laughs) (laughs) whatever resentments and regrets you have. And that was, I think, something my dad struggled with a little bit. Um, But, and we came to something kind of beautiful near the end of his life that, um, where I think he, he understood that I had taken some risks, but they had largely worked out. Um, and you know, there's a, and there's also a lot in the book about how we define success right. and how we define uh, uh, the American dream. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are like, "Who the fuck are you to write a memoir?" And I don't disagree with them, but you know, I'm I'm a guy who's qualified for my union's health plan for 20 years now, and and that's not nothing, you know. No, that's, that's a, not nothing. And was your father? Uh, still here to see some of your success some of it yeah okay. some of it he 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 got to see me establish a little bit of a footing um in in a very mercurial business and he got to see me i think he even got to see me grow a little bit as an actor he didn't live for the big stuff my mom did um she got to see me book big bang and and go on to do speechless and and she she got and, to, and, mo- and you know movie stuff some movie stuff yeah. yeah um but my my dad um my, the other thing that was was hard was my dad had been a uh, a smoker and uh, yeah. so C- copd uh uh, which a fancy version of a uh, fancy version, a fancy way of saying emphysema, <laughs> caught up with him in his in his late sixties. If, if I had emphysema, I would want to go with the fancy. I'd thing. want the fanciest. Yeah. I'd want like the uh, the VIP emphysema. Absolutely, Abs- I'd the pay best. extra. The best one for the good seating. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he. Um, so he he died actually right before I became a dad, which was a whole circle of life thing that's in the book. But um, yeah, he got to see me have a certain amount of. Um, footing in this business but i think he he had this weird thing and it was all out of his own insecurities but you know i got to i worked very steadily in tv and i got a lot of sitcom work right out of the gate and as impressive as that was there was a sense of him like well why aren't you doing shakespeare or why aren't you doing more oh boy that's and that's a that's a that's an old timey parent way of thinking it's a very old timey way as if we just go around and right. like oh i would like to do this thing now where do i sign up right you know it's like we're picking classes our freshman year or something yes. you know and that's not exactly how it it goes down whereas you and i as parents it, we know, uh, you know, if our kids do stuff like that, we'd be like, this is amazing. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Well, but, you know, you're in this incredibly erratic yeah. uh, uh, business. And if you can get any sort of um, established, steady work, you have won six lotteries. <laughs> right. Do your kids have artistic aspirations? Uh, my my youngest, who just graduated from high school, was in musical theater, and she would, from time to time, have one of the leads, but yeah. not all the time. Great. But it was always uh, it was always a part that she was suited for, and you know. And um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, it comes up in the book. I'm a massive musical theater yeah, well, fan. I, I know when we get to some of your songs. What um, what what were some of the roles she got to do? <sighs> now you're gonna now see. I oh, should, see, I've stumped I you should, because you're I not a, you're not the big musical theater nerd. No, but I but I went went to her shows and I was proud of her. And I'm just I can't even remember the one that she was just in the last show she was in. What was? Oh, they did uh, they did um. Oh, what's the album musical? This is what they're uh, Mamma Mia. They did Mamma Mia, and she was one of the friends. Oh, great! Those are great parts. Yes, she Those was. Uh, she was the uh, uh, Julie Walters part uh-huh. in the movie. Uh huh. 
Sure. Uh, so sure. yeah. So that's the part. Take she a had. chance on me. I yes, believe. that was her big that's number. That's right. Yeah. I'm so sorry to the audience for me just dropping the ball. On no, that. it's totally fine. My son did Mamma Mia. It's it's huge mm-hmm. on the high school circuit because it's a real ensemble piece. Right. It's got women. It's got female leads, yes. which is important for a high school musical because the guys don't want to do drama. Yeah. Um, and so you, if you can if you can write a musical with predominantly female leads yeah. you'll never work another day in your life yeah. <laughs> um because it, it because there's always a bunch of really talented girls and like they grab somebody off the track team to play the uh to play the male yeah. lead uh, but my son played the fiance of the daughter oh nice yes great so part he got um uh uh oh god um lay all your love on me was his big number and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's it's a fun music it's a fun it's show so fun but yeah, when, uh, you know, in the Take a Chance on Me starts, you know, acapella. Uh-huh. And it was just like, you know, it's nice when you can kind of feel the, you know, the other parents kind of like sit up a little bit when yeah. your kid starts to sing. You're like, all right, I think this is going to be okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's fun. Now, you talked about why should you be writing a memoir. Here's the reason I'm surprised you wrote it is because you are not 80 years old. You still have plenty of life to live. I mean, I feel like a, uh, a volume two will happen someday. You're not, you're not done acting. You're not done living. You're not, you know what I mean? So I hear to that. me, it seems early that you wrote it. I hear that. I absolutely hear that. Um, there's people who are even earlier than me, um, you know, and I, Some I always- Some TikTokers are writing yeah, their memoir. Yeah, I always look askance at those people who crank out their memoir at 28 unless they've had like, <laughs> unless they've seen war or something. Yeah. I'm like, all right, simmer down, tiger. Um, but it <laughs> felt- Seen war. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like um, it was a good time to- and again, the the agent reached out to me. I wasn't going around go, knocking on doors saying, hey, "Right, I, right." I, and then when people are coming to you for things, you're not going to say no. Exactly, yeah. especially not. And I did want to write something about my dad, but I thought it was going to be more uh, personal essay than mm-hmm. full book. Um, but I think now's a good time to sort of take stock because I am solidly midlife. Um, and do you want to, do you want to throw your age out to us? I'm, I was born in 1971, so I'm 51 now and, um, a boyish 51 (laughs) for sure, but 51 regardless. And I feel like it is a not, it's not a bad time to take stock as my kids are, uh, in high school and middle school, they're a little younger Mm -hmm. than yours. Um, and I'm a little older than you. I'm I'm 58. Okay. Oh, you wear it well. Soon to be 59, February. You wear it well. Well, Thank you. You wear it very well. Um, but there is a, um, you know, there's a sense of stopping and taking stock for a moment yeah. and, and you know, looking at uh, what you have accomplished and what is still left to do. Um, and the book ends around my mid-30s when I book Big Bang, which is sort of a, a moment. I liken it to getting on dry land after years of yeah. solidly treading water. And um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean all your problems are solved, but it does mean you've got ground under your feet. You're yeah. still going to have to forage for food and build shelter and yeah. stuff, but you're on dry land. Right. Um, and that is very much what it felt like for me. It was a recurring on a hit show and it opened up a lot of other big. doors. It's big. Credits talk, you know. Um, so that seemed like a good place to end it. But... Um, yeah, maybe I have another volume uh, in me. Uh, no rush. Because Speechless isn't really covered in here at all. 
yeah, it's, it's mentioned just very cursorily at the end as sort of one of the benefits of having booked uh, uh, Big Bang. And I think there's a story in there, too. I don't even get to the part where I quit drinking before I'm 40. So I, I got to uh, uh, that might be a whole other. Uh, uh, there's lots journey. more John Ross Bowie. So I, I, my hope is that this book does very well and that the publisher says, hey, what else you got? You got more? OK. All right. Yeah. That's what we need. Here's hoping. Here's now, hoping. By the way, in conjunction with this episode, I have four galley copies it's an advanced reading copy not for sale all signed by john ross bowie even if you win one of these i still want you to go buy a copy because the hardback <laughs> is going to be lovely and it's going to have pictures in it like the galley copy doesn't have photos in it no yeah there's pictures in pictures, the uh, yeah. in the in the hardbound and um i don't think hang on let me take a quick look i don't this. think there's any pictures in this. yeah there's no you don't have the blurbs here and no. you don't have the uh the pictures the eight pages of color photographs yeah. um yeah but uh, don't the, get me wrong this is this is going to be a highly collectible item because it's autographed by john ross bowie and it's a galley copy you can't purchase it so this is going to be very special, but go buy a copy. Go buy a copy. By Do all you means. think Bono's book coming out the week before yours is going to impact the sales of your book? You know, I, I just heard he had a book coming out and um, I'm actually more worried about Matthew Perry's, but um, which is also coming out the week before. I will say this. I saw one paragraph from the Bono book where okay. he apologizes for the malware he put on every iPhone 10 years ago. <laughs> um, and he takes full responsibility. He doesn't like he doesn't share it with the band. He just completely says, this was my idea to put that album on your iPhone, mea culpa. I, I don't, look, I, I have no idea why people were mad about that. Now, look, if I got a Kanye West album for free tomorrow on my on my thing, I'd be like- That'd be ill-timed. Eh. That'd be ill-timed. Yeah, but but I would I would go, eh, that's not my thing. I'd delete it. You know, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't get all up in arms about it. Just delete it. I, I was- Piece of cake. Here's the thing. I I I didn't mind it. I thought it was a little presumptuous. Um, what, that everyone would want it. Yeah, yeah. I, but uh, but at the same time, what I I did love about it is that the first song on the record was him singing about how much he loves Joey Ramone. Yes, and yeah. I thought that was kind of lovely. They have done for an, a big arena rock band. They have done a great deal to promote. I mean, the Ramones opened for them on one of yeah. their tours. Yeah, you know, they love the Ramones. Yeah, and I I thought that was very touching because most bands that most guitar-based bands that started in the early 80s, whether they admit it or not, owe some amount of debt to the Ramones. I mean, even Morrissey gives it up for the Ramones. So it's nice to see... Uh, I, I always thought it was very sweet the way Bono wore his fandom on his sleeve. Yeah, yeah. First and foremost, a fan. I mean, they that band, U2 started when they were teenagers. So mm -hmm. they were music fans, and they continue to be music fans. Yeah, yeah. They uh, covered... Um, not on the tour where the Ramones were opening, but they covered "I Remember You," uh, a a one of the slower uh, Ramones yeah. ballads, um, and did a really nice job with it. I thought there will be an audio book also. I saw you uh, uh, Instagram about recording it. Did yeah. you do that at home? No, no, no. I did it in a studio uh, not too far from here. Actually, um, that was a really interesting process because it's you um, reading your own memoir is well, doing an audio book in general is a completely different skill set from anything else I've done. So we've got 250 pages here. How long did it take for you to read that and record that audiobook? Uh four days. Four days. Not, um, that's not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. We and actually I had to go back and do chapter one again because excuse me. I had a um I started doing it and I was just sort of reading it and I I 
I wasn't sure how much emotion to put behind mm-hmm. it. You know, how much of this is going to be acted? It's yeah, how my, much performance? Yeah, and and I I didn't, and I felt myself near the end of the chapter, um, sort of get into a, a groove and like, oh, I think I understand how this is. I, I can make this a little more conversational, and it'll be a lot more fun. And I was talking; they they provide you with a director, okay, which was great. And she said, um, you know, I think we could probably, and I said, should we go back and do chapter one again? And she said, yeah, I think we should. And we did. And I'm so glad I did. Um, because, because that's the first thing we're going to hear. Exactly. And I, if it's like, Ugh, this. You, you have one chance to make a first impression. Right. And I, I, I'm really glad I got into the groove and then went back and, and corrected everything I had done beforehand. I think it's going to be a fun audiobook, actually. You know, what's funny, though, and you'll find this interesting, is that I quote lyrics throughout, mm-hmm. but I couldn't help myself from singing them. And they'd be like, nope, stop, don't do that. Don't have the rights. Don't have the rights to that melody. Nope, got to <laughs> so recite you can, that. you can just recite it, but I you can't just recite no it, melody. I, no melody. And I, I was like, oh, that's, uh, I know that. I know how intellectual property rules work. I've been in this business a while, but it was so funny to like, but I want to sing. There's an amazing moment. I'm not even sure if I can sing it here. I quote a friend of mine that I grew up with, um, who was this really funny guy who I call Abe in the book, who had this great bit um, that is such an '80s joke that if you're honestly, if you're under 40, you're not. You're not. You're going <laughs> to stare vacantly out of the room. at your phone right now. But he would do this thing around 85. We go little ditty about Moshe Diane, <laughs> which was such a specific 80s yes. joke. Yeah. And I loved it so much, but I can't sing it on the book because um, I, I can't pay John Cougar Mellencamp royalties on that. And you know what? I'll do it again. You can cut out the uh, the melodic version. He would go, little ditty about Moshe Diane. And it was hilarious to me, but that joke is a little bit lost in the audiobook. <laughs> anyway that that joke is much better than the one i remember from high school when kids would say sing little titty to jack from diane <laughs> that's what they would sing in my to jack from Di- oh yeah okay yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah. He, well you not, know not not as highbrow uh new york is a is a is a city of the world you know, it's a, <laughs> yes, you know you're, you're a global citizen small, when you yeah. live in manhattan so I'm, I'm small town pennsylvania so okay what's the town holidaysburg Western Pennsylvania. It's about a population about 5,500. Wow. Yeah, my whole family still lives there. Wow. How far from Pittsburgh? About two hours and 15 minutes. Pennsylvania is so much bigger than people realize. I know. Like people go, is that near Philly? I'm like, no, that's that's clear on the other side of the state. That's like six hours away. Six hours away. You ever drive across the middle of Pennsylvania, you realize how goddamn big that place is. Yeah. Couple more questions about the book, then we're going to hit some of these uh, songs that you picked that um, will tell the story of your life in some sort of way. To a certain extent, yeah. All right. So, if you could have someone, anyone, you could just, you have a golden ticket to have someone read the memoir for you, who would you have chosen? Oh, that's funny. Um, you know, the joke I was making all the time was uh, I'm doing this because Keith David isn't available because um, he has just <laughs> such an amazing, booming voice. But yes. it would sound really weird to have him read my stuff. Um, that's uh, a really good question. Um, I've got a golden ticket. Yeah, for anyone's going to do it. Anybody. You know, I'm honestly, I'm I'm at eye level with this with this Weird Al um, uh, album cover you've got. So you think Al does a good job? Then. I think Al would do it. Al has a great voice, and Al and I, um, I did 
a voice on a cartoon he was voicing a, coup, a couple years ago called um, Milo Murphy's Law. And he's a great voice actor. I think he'd actually be, and he has the requisite amount of uh, uh, nasal yet deep that I think you need to approximate <laughs> yes. my storytelling. Yeah. I get it. I get yeah. it. Uh, so I, I go. Uh, I go Weird Al. Yeah. Okay. Good. Perfect. Good, good uh, question. Good question. Uh, next up, you didn't talk about speechless in here, but I want to. I just want to give a little fu to uh, ABC. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So here's the I'll, deal. I'll let you do that. Yeah. Uh, here's the deal. That was an important show. I think so. For people whose family dynamic has a special needs person yeah. in the household. And you, it didn't shy away from being funny. It didn't shy away from being real. Uh, I'm kind of getting choked up just thinking about it. Um, I don't even have a special needs kid, but uh, the school our kids went to, special needs kids were filtered right in with... Uh, High functioning kids. I don't know what the term typical typical kids. The yeah, term, typical. The term is typical. typical. Um, and I and so we I had a part of the crash course mm -hmm. before that show started shooting was learning the nomenclature, and I visited the school that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Chime uh, Charter. Uh, Chime Charter. I didn't yeah. know how how much. Why not? Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Um, I visited Chime Charter, which is uh, up here in the valley. And is an amazing school that mainstreams kids with special needs into uh, other classes with typical kids. And they have different reading materials, sure. obviously. But it's about, it's a level of assimilation that most, most schools don't even attempt. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to watch that sort of progressive educational philosophy at work. And I learned a lot about... Um, the person first language that yeah. is really important mm -hmm. in, in that world. Um, a, a person who uses a wheelchair, um, a person with special needs. Right. Um, yeah. Speechless was a dream gig. It was, you know, the, the, here's what you want as an actor. You, you want a job first. Sure. Then you want a job that sticks around for a little while. Right. And it did, but it did. We not had three seasons. But we not had, nearly yeah. long enough. That that thing should still be on TV or just wrapping up now. You're I very mean, sweet. No, it, was, it should because it was a great show. And when I saw that that was canceled, I could not believe it. Like I was like, are you kidding me? I was a little less surprised because our, our numbers had gone down. They moved us to Friday night and we were not a Friday night no, show. No, that's not a great night. The problem with, with Speechless is that it was never properly marketed. It was marketed as, I mean, we are, our, um, I'm going to put it in political terms. Our base was always there for us. Mm -hmm. Our base of families with special needs was always there for us. Yeah. But we had a broader appeal than that. We had incredibly funny writers who had worked on Simpsons and Friends yeah. and and Rick and Morty. Right. And so we had a, a strong, anti-authoritarian, absurdist streak that was really fun to play with. And But we were marketed as a very sweet sort of TGIF. Yeah. You know, you're going to learn yeah. a little it's something. Not, yeah, it's not Full House. Yeah, we, you, we and I was like... I don't know that I'd watch the show that they're selling right. here. So what? We so would, maybe some people didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think people realized how funny the show could yeah. be because it was constantly like a show of like, you know, it was not, it was not me and Minnie uh, talking shit behind our kids' backs, which we did all the time on the show, which was incredibly funny and incredibly real, and it is something that parents do. Yes, we go in, we go into the bedroom, we go. 
I don't know. When you, you talk to that asshole, I'm yeah. not, I don't even know what to do Boy, with they're, that. They're in quite a mood today. Yeah. You handle it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was always like the shot of me kissing my son's head. And I'm like, that's fine. That's part of it. We had a great, there was a fan account called uh, No Context DeMeos. The family was the DeMeos. Yes. And they would post our funniest, weirdest jokes. And that's we just so started taking their stuff. Like the network would send us like, here's a gif of, you know, you and Minnie hugging. I'm like, that's fine. However, there's this amazing joke that this fan account put out there and we would just use their stuff yeah, because it gave a better idea of what we were doing. Um, yeah, it was really strange because they had a, I'm not into this for the statues or the, or the, the, you know, the award show stuff, but they had this show that got uniformly great reviews but then when it came time to, you know, do the four-year consideration ads, nobody considered us. And I would have yeah. loved to have seen our writers get a little more yeah. props, you know? But, I mean, but all the acting was stellar. The, the kids were great. The kids were great. The kids were great. And, you know. The, and that's a we, crap shoot. We've watched shows where you're like, that kid is not good. Well, you, you know, and it's, times, not, it's not the kid's fault. He's no, young. He hasn't been no. doing it that long. But when you get a good kid actor, it's, I mean, it puts it through the roof it's they, crazy they they the kid actors come in two flavors usually they come in so eerily professional mm -hmm. that they kind of freak you out a little yeah. bit and like you know their phone goes off in the middle of the take and they're like oh this is my publicist i have to take this you're like no you fucking don't what? right <laughs> you know that's that's terrifying or you get the kids who don't know their ass from their elbow <laughs> and are really good looking but are you know is there a camera pointed at me like yes there is buddy come on so uh, you, you want to find something right, right in, the, in middle. the middle and we found that with mason kyla and mike um, with whom I'm still in touch. I was going to ask this, when you work on a show like this, and again, you're a parental figure in this show, uh, I don't imagine the shop closes and, and you never talk to those people again. I can't no, imagine that no, that would no, happen. No, 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 not at all. No, I'm still in touch with those guys and I still yeah. care about them really. It is a wild thing. You know, I'm not going to say that like, they're like my kids, my actual biological children are my priority. <laughs> right. But, but they're like nieces and nephews. They're nieces and nephews, absolutely. Yeah. Especially since I don't have siblings, so I have no nieces and nephews. So, here so you go. Mason and Kyla and Micah are near and dear to my hearts. And uh, when. And Jim Parsons is like a nephew also. And Jim I Parsons assume. is absolutely okay, a nephew sure. too. Especially um, the young Sheldon. Yes, yes. I absolutely. I, uh, <laughs> I, I take him to ball games. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, it's, uh, yeah, the kids are, are, are really special to me. And when, when they get work, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Kyla did a couple years on that show, Mr. Mayor after us with Ted Danson. And, um, she was playing Ted Danson's daughter. So a, I have that in common with Ted Danson, right, which right. is awesome. And you're and, a younger dad. Than yeah. Ted Danson. Yeah. Um, and, um, B, uh, she was fantastic. She's just, uh, she's got funny bones, that one. She's just a really good kid. Yeah, it was a great gig. We were, I, I you know, it, it feels a little um, ungracious to complain about a show that I understand lasts that. for that, three but, seasons. Yes, but I'm bringing it up as, 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 a, as okay. a fan and as uh, someone who feels like that show is not only hysterical, but well acted, well written, and an important show. It's important. You know we what had, I mean? You know, I mean, as I was saying, and I yeah, have to be, I'm going to say more stuff. Modern Family got so shitty for their last four or so seasons. And that just thing, they just kept promoting it. And that was a juggernaut. But that show fell off the rails for me after like season five. I stopped watching it. It got so stupid and silly. And 
your show was solid all three seasons. Well, you know, again, who know? You know, it's hard to do to sustain. I, I believe it or not, I don't have a, a strong opinion. Every Modern Family I've ever seen has been really strong. I was not a regular watcher. Yeah. Um, I think Ty Burrell's a genius. Oh yeah, the, an yeah, active the, genius. Yes. What I'm saying is the writing got no, no. so. Um, like I like when when the humor is based in reality. Like I hear if I'm that. watching something and a guy falls off a roof and he's in the next scene, fine. I'm like, that's bullshit. He should at least. No, there's six months of PT yes, that follows that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that is ridiculous. So I hate, I hate silliness like that. Well, it's funny. I, um, but maybe, maybe it was a blessing then that we stopped after three seasons. You know, we, maybe we never, you know, thank God we never got a chance to suck. You know, I, uh, I, I yeah, we went well, okay. out, we went on a high note. The very last scene is of the of the series and we didn't know it was going to be our last but we we wrote i think they wrote every season with a possibility of this could go further yeah. but there's also a sense right. of closure open-ended yeah they, the they were very because we were never guaranteed uh yeah it was a real um dread pirate roberts situation good night wesley i'll most likely kill you in the morning every season <laughs> is what that felt like so when we ended the show on um jj uh uh, getting ready to go to college and uh, showing up uh, and doing sort of a draft of uh, or a rehearsal of what it was like to get to get to class mm -hmm. every morning yeah. and taking three hours to do it. So like the family still did not have it shit together. Right. I thought that was a lovely sense of closure. I would have loved to have followed him to college. Oh my God. I would have, have been loved amazing. to have seen some more stuff there. Um, they did a really interesting thing where they made him a film buff who wants to make movies so we got to play a little bit with that in the last season yeah. of him like making films and us getting to do sort of parodies of different genres which was really kind of fun and again you never would know this from our advertising which was always hugging and learning right <laughs> but we were a weird edgy um you know we would get not to get too political, but we would get singled out by a right-wing blog for being a vehemently pro-life show because our first kid uh, had a disability and then we still had two more kids mm -hmm. after that. Yeah. And, you know, that was not the intention, but that's right. something that people thought of us. And then the same... Uh, the same uh, right wing blog would be like, oh, they did this incredibly scandalous thing where you know uh, the kid uh, uh, sends a picture, uh, takes a picture of his own nipple because he thinks something's wrong with it, and everyone thinks that a girl sent him a picture of her nipple. And I can't believe they would do this with kids. And it was one of my favorite storylines, yeah. by the way, where our our middle son's a hypochondriac and he takes a picture of his nipple because he's afraid <laughs> he wants to show it to his doctor. Right. And his friends go through his phone and go, dude, who sent you this nipple? This is is amazing <laughs> i loved that storyline that's, that's what a sitcom does come on yeah people. and and it was so um so like we were we, we were never quite understood you know yeah. it was it was really interesting um but uh nothing really dies that's yeah. a fact it's on hulu yes uh all 63 episodes in its glory so go check it out uh now, I don't know if you want to share this story. I, I forget if you told me this, like, not in confidence, but behind the scenes. And but and I don't know. think we talked about this the last time you were here. But one of your last auditions for um, Speechless, you told me that Minnie Driver did a little something oh. to help, to possibly help 
you along a little bit. Do you we know, say this or do uh, we, we not can say absolutely it? say this? We can absolutely say this. Do you this. feel comfortable saying this? I do feel comfortable saying okay. this. It's completely fine. So Minnie uh, and I had met before. I had played her boss on a another sitcom called About a Boy. And so we were friendly and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd I'd met her her son Henry. But um I am five eight and she is five foot ten. And yeah. she's a She's a little self-conscious about her height in some ways, and I'm a little self-conscious about mine. But honestly, going into this audition, I was kind of like, you know, I'm shorter than Minnie. I don't think anyone's going to buy me as her husband. We'll see what happens. But I go in, and the final stage of the audition is reading with her, what mm-hmm. they call a chemistry read in the business. And... um. I, I get in and I say, hi, how's Henry? She, he's fine. Thanks for asking. How are your kids? They're great. Thank you for asking. You want to do these scenes? And she goes, yes. And she stands up and she very discreetly kicks off her shoes and kicks them under the couch so that when she comes over to me, we're eye to eye. And it was such a boost of confidence. It was a tiniest little thing, but I've, I think I've told her this too. It, it gave me such a, a sense of uh, camaraderie and we're rooting for each other. Right. And we really only had a couple scenes together in the pilot, um, but it was so weird watching that show and thinking like, you know, I, this is a really strange thing to say, but I would appear to have very good chemistry with this woman who dated Matt Damon. I just, <laughs> this is the goddamn. How do you like thing. them apples? Yeah, how do you, how indeed do you like them apples? Um, so it was, yeah, she was, um, I got a feeling she was rooting for me very early on, and I appreciated that a lot. And we uh, we did some really good work together. Yeah, I, really I mean that. The, I just love that story when you told me that because that. I mean, because if she didn't want you for the part or didn't like you or whatever, she's not going to do that. So that she, is a gigantic boost of confidence for you as the actor who's up for the role of her she, husband. She also said, and there were two other guys uh, who were in that final round, and I know who they are, but Schwimmer I won't, I won't say and <laughs> Schwimmer and Brad Pitt. But um, but they, um, she claims that there's there's one scene in the, one of the audition scenes, and it's in the pilot, um, where she walks in on me in the shower. Okay. Um, and just barges in while I'm taking a shower to complain about our kids, which again is a lovely, true, weird moment. Right. Um, she claims that she reversed Judas to me, that she kissed me, um, and that was sort of like, and she claims that I was the only one of the three that she kissed. Um, take it. And I'll take say, it. Yeah, take I'll it. I'll take it. I got the role. Um, and it was sort of this nice, uh, uh, I, I will, uh, you will know which one I want by my kiss. <laughs> I shall betray him with my kiss. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, nice. uh, we got the gig. And one more thing about, uh, Chime Charter. When my kids went there, they were, you know, around all these other children. Again, what, what are, what are the words I need? I, I need to. Well, just, uh, just kids with special needs. Yes, That's all. Kids with yeah. special needs. Yeah. So much so that, you know, when I was a kid, if I would turn the corner and see a kid in a wheelchair, it would kind of put me on my heels. That would and be I, news and, for the whole day. And I would be like freaked out about it. My kids see someone in a wheelchair, it's like someone is wearing a pair of glasses. It doesn't even, it's not even a thing and it shouldn't be a thing. And my, I'm so happy they had that experience. And my my son got a lot of that out of it. My kids got a lot of, out of watching and coming to set. Yeah. And they are they're just less struck by that. We have some friends yeah. who adopted a couple kids with um, with special needs. Saints. With, um, um, uh, there's a, a, a physical difference, mm-hmm. a very quickly uh, observable physical difference. And Walter is 
so blasé about it and it's absolutely to do with the the world that scott silveri the guy who created speechless set up and them watching it at home them coming to visit sets we hired I don't think anyone came near us when it comes to hiring actors and 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 writers with disabilities. Yeah. Nobody came near us. Another reason the show was important. No, we 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 had um if someone played someone with a disability, we hired an actor with a disability. We were we were even if it was um something that isn't automatically visible like autism, mm -hmm. we absolutely brought in people who were actually on the spectrum to do the show. And um I think that authenticity uh came across. Uh a friend of mine who's a, a TV writer, female, she worked on a, a family show and um she was like, I was the only female on the staff, I was the only mom. It was, the room was filled with dudes. Half of them didn't have kids. She said it was ridiculous. It's for like, how a do you family write, show? For a family show. Oh, for God's sakes. Yeah. It was it, a very modern show. Yeah, but I mean, there- It was a very modern family type show. I see. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. All right. Your wife is Jamie Denbo. She is. She is currently, can be seen in uh, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Uh, yeah, that just wrapped up. But yeah, they're For good. Uh, it's uh, done. Uh, it's done. Yeah, they did. There was a two and done, but it's a great show and she is excellent yeah, on it. Now, very, granted, she, very she much is. is playing Boston Trash. Yeah, she is. And yes. she is. Boston and that's kind of a turn trash. on, turn on for oh, you. Oh, it's super hot. It's super hot. Don't get me wrong. There's two things <laughs> she does that are super hot for me. When she goes full trashy Boston <laughs> and when she speaks Hebrew. So she's really pretty, she's pretty great for me, I gotta tell you. But yeah, Kevin Can Fuck Himself is an amazing piece of work that, talk about a network drop in the ball, man. AMC had this, uh, again, critically acclaimed show that they did not boost enough. They did two seasons of it. The premise is... It looks like a standard multicam sitcom with a schlub husband and a hot wife, but then she'll step away from the living room set and you'll go into this dark single cam, almost Breaking Bad type show. Yeah. And watching people switch from those two styles of acting is fascinating. It's a masterclass. Yeah. Annie Murphy's great on it. Jamie's great on it. Mary Hollis and Bolden is great on it. It's just wall-to-wall -wall good performances. Uh, it is still on AMC Plus. I don't know where else it's streaming. You can probably get it on demand. And if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie was only ever in the single cam version of the show. Did no, she, she did both. She, she was did one both? of the actors who did, I asked the same question. I she don't was one of that. the actors who did um, both the single cam and she did some of the stuff in the multicam, which is great because, like me, she's got a pretty wide resume in yeah. both. We've both done our share of work in front of a studio audience and we've both done our share of work with a camera, you know, four inches from our face. <laughs> Um, as we are being questioned by the police or whatever, you know, we've got strikingly similar careers mm. in that and, regard. And do the kids want to do this? Do the kids want to pursue this no, professionally? Nola has the bug. My daughter has okay. the bug. Um, and she's pretty good. Walter is finding himself. Walter, um, uh, I think if Walter had his uh druthers he would be i thought you were gonna say shit together <laughs> um <laughs> well that's a he's only 12 he's got his time to get he, his shit yeah. together um but if he had his druthers he would be the world's first um actor slash manga artist um but um like his father he has a little trouble focusing uh he's gonna be okay though he's gonna be all right and nola is your daughter yeah so at are you supportive of this or because you know the trials and tribulations, are you like, hey. We're supportive. <laughs> and you know, the other thing is that she's not gonna, look, I mean, 
by most definitions, she will be a nepotism baby in the sense that, you know, yes, we can introduce her to an agent. We can do things to right, her that, right. like, if she was growing up in, say, Holidaysburg, right. she would have a she would have a struggle yes, with. She yes. will have certain advantages. But her parents aren't so successful that she hasn't seen the horrific lulls <laughs> that come with this career. Right. You know, I yeah. didn't work all summer. I did not work all summer. And there was a point around mid-August where I was like, what would grad school look like? Is it too late to take the LSATs? You know, um, so, you know, she has seen the downs that come with yeah. this. And she was with, you know, she was, a, you know, I picked her up after school. The day speechless got canceled. I'm like, hi, daddy's unemployed for the moment. And we're fine. We're, we're fine. Good. Not we a problem. Um, but uh, why don't we go, why don't we eat at home tonight? Um, you know. Um, <laughs> no Starbucks right after school. Yeah, no, 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 let's just go let's straight go, home. Yeah, let's I, just go straight home. Maker. I feel like cooking. Um, so she's not, you know, she's not going to have that really skewed perspective of someone whose dad works constantly, whose mom works constantly. Yeah. She's seen the ups and downs. And it's I, a working actor family. It's a working actor family. But I think she really loves that kind of storytelling. Yeah. And she, I swear to God, she's good, Pat. I, I, I would, no, I wouldn't tell you, obviously, we're on the air. I would dodge the topic entirely. <laughs> you would have said. I would have asked in advance that we not discuss not talk it. talk about it. Well, that's good. Like, but I swear to God, she's good. She has a naturalism that is rare in kids her age. She doesn't have that, like, Nickelodeon really demonstrative, yeah. like, eye-popping, like, what kind of acting <laughs> style at all. She's got this very grounded, yeah. subtle, she's got good timing. Mm. Um, uh, she did a scene, she did a scene from Our Town last year at her school, and uh, it was the, I don't know if you're familiar with the play. Uh, uh, I'm not. Okay, so there's a scene at the end of Our Town, spoiler alert, but you've had like 90 years. I know. Um, you won't ruin it for me. It'll be fine. There's a scene at the end of Our Town where- um, Is Ant-Man in this scene? Um, no. Okay, sorry. then I haven't, no, then I don't know anything okay. about it. No, no. no. Um, uh, well, in the larger Our Town uh, cinematic universe, yes, but in, in just the original <laughs> play, no. And there's a scene where a, a girl um, uh, dies and she's wandering around- uh, the graveyard and she asks for one day to go back mm -hmm. and everyone who's already dead is like, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. And she goes back and she has this moment where she realizes how she didn't appreciate all the tiny little things, clocks ticking, coffee brewing and all thing. This scene makes me cry no matter what. Yeah. But to have my daughter up there doing it, <laughs> I was it. a fucking puddle. <laughs> Done. I was a mess. I was embarrassing um and i was also it was last year so i'm in a mask sobbing non-stop <laughs> terrible tears pouring down under my kn95 um you put a second one on over your eyes i really did yeah um yeah i think she's she's got something to offer um but it's interesting she's not positive she wants to do it she wants to do it in college, but she isn't sure that she wants to major in yeah. theater. She might want to major in something else, which I think is awesome. Like, you know, by all means, major in psych, major right. in literature, and do this on the side. Now, here's what here's what Rita like. We would, all through high school, and whenever she would be doing, you know, the plays and the musicals, we would always say, "Would you like to get an agent? And maybe, you know, maybe right. you could do commercial." Because we believe that she has a spark, something, some, right. you know. And other friends have said uh, that kid's got it. She's. And when we would ask her about it, because we're not pushy, we don't, you know, we're just asking, would you like right. to, we could. Yeah, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. yeah. She would say, you know what? I do this for me. That's great. That's which great was attitude. Kind, which was kind of refreshing. Yeah. And, you know, you can't argue with that. You'd be like, okay, well, if you ever change your mind, let us know. That's a great attitude. So, all 
All right, let's move on to some music. There's no way we're going to get through these 24 songs, but we'll get through no, as we'll, many we'll, as let's possible. Let's hit a couple uh, big ones, yeah. So. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The first two, now when I was putting this playlist together yesterday and I was queuing up some songs, um, my wife was like, the first two songs played and my wife goes, oh, tell, tell John that he, uh, he is my new uh, love. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> because, I, I, I didn't come here to fuck up your marriage, dude. <laughs> I apologize. Also, the first one, which is Prelude from the Ballad of Sweeney Todd, the cat hated this song. The cat- Oh, like, well, there's that factory whistle in there. Must oh have set my her God. off, yeah. Oh my God, bolted out of the kitchen. Yeah, like, so, so Sweeney Todd was one of the first musicals. It's not the first musical I saw, but it- um, Annie was the first musical I saw, but I just liked opening it with the first song from Sweeney Todd, which was only the second or third I saw. It is essentially a horror movie on stage about the class struggle and a factory whistle reminding us that we're in industrial age London um, is sort of a, a musical motif throughout the show. And it scares cats. Yes. And it, it scares an does. audience. And um it's a uh, it's a very uh, scary, deliberately scary piece of music. Let's hear a little bit of it. Yeah, so it starts with this organ prelude. Boom, cat is gone. Yeah. This is good because this is our Halloween episode. This drops on the 31st. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so then there's this menacing strings. And then the cast starts singing to you about this this maniacal barber who cuts throats um, uh, in, in on the way to uh, uh, getting his vengeance for a wrongful imprisonment. Um, but there's a moment later on in this song where Sweeney uh, is finally comes out on stage and the audience, you know, it's always a big entrance, you know, and they different directors handle it different ways. Um, and he usually bursts through a door or something like that. But he says, um, he says, what happens then? Well, that's the play. And he wouldn't want us to give it away. And that has for 50 years now, that's given me chills because I was just like, oh, you can do that? You can call out the fact that we're watching a play? I guess you can. Yeah, and so it was my first understanding of like, oh, I, I, did, I wouldn't have known the phrase the fourth wall. Mm. I would not have known the phrase no. postmodernism. I would not have known the phrase, you know, affirming the artifice in art. So I was just like, oh, oh shit, this guy's talking to me now, yeah. what's happening? And it was just one of those moments that kind of opened up what storytelling could be in a very, very big way. Um, I have seen more productions of Sweeney Todd than I have seen productions of anything else. Wow, what was the last one and who starred in it? Uh, the last one I saw was one that they did off-Broadway in New York a couple years ago. 
um, and they set it in a meat pie shop. And if you went early, you could have an actual meat pie that, Delicious. wink, wink, wasn't people. <laughs> um, and uh, it was Hugh Panaro and Carolee Carmelo, who are not household names, but they're big Broadway names. Hugh Panaro played uh, the Phantom on Broadway for a while. Carolee Carmelo was, I think, actually original Broadway cast of Mamma mm-hmm. Mia. Um, both of them are, are legends in New York theater, and they were great. And it was a very, what was wild about it, it was done in a very small, small room about the size of a pie shop no amplified voices no amplified instruments it was just you and this score with a very small band of like that's uh, pretty cool yeah piano um piano uh violoncello and i want to say harp maybe a little percussion um so you it was like sitting inside that score this great stephen sondheim score and I took my daughter and she was like, oh, this is fun and scary. I, I, this is a really good time. Now, as a fan of this musical, do you recommend the film, the Tim Burton adaptation? I can't. I don't, I don't, here, let me say this. Adaptation, I, I should say. I, I don't think it should be your first exposure to okay. it. If okay. you know it anyway, then by all means, check it out. But it should not be, it cuts the ballad for one thing. It cuts the thing we just listened to. Oh, wow. Um, which I think is a very strange choice because it doesn't. You know, and I understand it's weird. It's different to break the fourth wall in film than it is on on the stage. Yeah. I understand the reasons why, but you do lose something thematically in getting rid of that song. And you know, it's also it's not filled with singers. It's filled with actors who can kind of sing, gotcha. and it's a pretty demanding score. And with all due respect to Mr. Depp, I mean, this is something that operatic baritones have played, and I. I'm not going to poo-poo it entirely. It has its moments. Mm-hmm. Certainly it has its moments. Um, and it's shot very well. It, the, the aesthetic is is really good, but it should not be your first exposure to the show. All right, but it's better than uh, Dark Shadows, Tim Burton's Dark yes, Shadows. Yes, I'll grant okay, you that. Cool. I will grant you that. All right, the next song is from Annie. Yes, it is. The original, is this the original Broadway cast? It's the original, this is the cast Andrea I saw. McCardle, yeah. you saw this. Yeah. This, well, was, this was my first show. And this was wild because... Those and who were, took you to this? Your mom? My parents. Both. Your they parents. were still together at the time. And uh, I would have been six, I want to say. So okay. 1977. And how old is Andrea McCardle at that point then? Maybe 10. And she's your crush probably. She's after my the massive show. crush. She is my massive crush to this day. Um, and what was crazy was I, I, I understood there were kid actors because, you know, you could still watch The Little Rascals on TV right. in the 70s, you know? But I was also like, oh, wow, these these are kids. Like, oh, yeah, those kids are, some of those kids are dead now, John. I was like, oh, that's a, <laughs> thanks, Mom. That's a, that's, thanks for that buzzkill. But these kids were alive, and they were on stage, and they were working, and that blew my mind. And the lead is a kid. The lead is a kid. She's in almost every scene, and I, it was for this to be your first Broadway show. And then years later, they revived it on Broadway and I engineered it so that it was my daughter's first Broadway show. Oh, very show. nice. So I took her and the French horn started playing the melody for tomorrow and I started crying again. <laughs> I cry, Pat. I'm a crier. This is something I need to make clear. This is, did you cry when you were reading the book, when you were recording the audio book? Because writing it is different from then reading the words that you wrote. Then you're like, I didn't oh, cry, no. but I got really emotional. And it was also weird because, you know, I took something like five years with a lot of breaks mm. to write the book, but then I took four days to read, read it. it out loud. Yeah. And so all these things crammed together. But yeah, I had to write, I had to read about my dad's death. I had to read about my emotional breakdown in my 20s. I had to also read about some shitty things that I had done along the way. Yeah. And that made it, um, 
that was challenging. And yeah, again, sure. my uh, my director and the engineer were super cool and like, hey, you know, let's take 15 minutes. Make a splash some water on your face. I was like, I'll yeah. do that. So I didn't cry, but I was let's pretty- Let's take a baby break. Yeah, I was, I, I, <laughs> I was emotionally raw that okay. week. I was definitely, and I, I came home every day and I was a little tetchy mm. and a little uh, vulnerable. I, felt, I just kind of felt like, yeah, there's no other word. I felt rubbed raw. I gotcha. felt like a couple layers of skin had been scraped off. And I was like, uh, don't touch me. Everything kind of hurts right now. Give me some space. I don't want to hug. Yeah, exactly. Do not hug me. Yeah. All right, let me play maybe. Then I have another question about the book. Here okay. we go. From Annie. This is when my wife was at the kitchen sink and she's like, what? what why are you playing this? It gives you a chill. It, yeah, it, I mean, it's nice to hear you that because yeah. hear you say that because it gives me a chill. But I have heaps of associations with this show. I, I got to give it up to Andrew McCardle for having a polished voice that still sounds like a kid. She's not one of those creepy little kids. That are like, all right, why do you sound like Jennifer Hudson? You're 11. <laughs> Knock it off. Um, like she's got. And why are you singing? I want a man with slow hands. Yeah, Please don't do that. <laughs> for the love of God, what are you doing? Um, um, yeah, it's a pretty melody. Uh, it's um, that's a, a I believe Charles Strauss wrote the music for this. It's it's got um, a deep nostalgic connection with me. People make fun of Annie all the time. I don't necessarily even blame them, but it means a great deal to me. And it's really, and I think a lot of people who saw it in the '70s or for whom it was their first exposure to theater got into this line of work. I actually just read a memoir that also mentions going to see this production of Annie. My friend Renit Plank wrote a memoir called When She Comes Back, and she had the same reaction of going to see the show, and there were all these kids on stage and just being struck by, like, this is their job. Yeah. They're doing this. And they're also, in some case, doing this in lieu of school. They leave school early on Wednesdays to do matinees. What? I can't, I can't imagine how taxing this would have been for Andrea McCardle. How many years did she play the part? I think she only did it for about a year. And then um, and then I think famously Sarah Jessica Parker yes. took the role yeah. over. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine being. And you know, she's maybe. It, uh, I hope she's not listening. It was. <laughs> I, I don't know that she had um, the career that she could have had after that. You know, she she still does a lot of theater. She mm. still pops up in theater. But um, I think there's something a little scary about kid actors who peak early. Have they ever have they ever done some stunt casting where they've brought her back in Annie playing one of the older roles? Yeah, I feel like she did a tour where she played Miss Hannigan. Yeah, that sounds um, which, right. Um, you know, which is really the money role. That's the role you want in this show. Yeah, I funny. saw the great Dorothy Loudon play it. Um, it's Carol Burnett in the original film. Yeah. I saw Jane Lynch do it in this last oh, Broadway revival. Wow, it is that's the, cool. It is the money role for a comedian who can sing. Yeah. It is really, um, she gets it's the most cynical role in an incredibly wholesome optimistic show so you get all the unexpected laughs 
Yeah. You know, you're this dissolute drunk who is basically <laughs> who is basically running an orphanage as a tax write-off, you know? And it's, uh, I mean, I'd love to play that role. I'd kill to have a would, crack at Miss Hannigan. Would you have a problem shaving your head to play Daddy Warbucks? I can't sing the role anyway. I don't have the notes to play, okay. so it's a non-issue. But I would have a problem because I have a weird bumpy skull. But <laughs> how do you know that? Just from I feeling feel like it? I just felt it, yeah. I've, it's like got a pack of hot dogs on the back? Like I don't, that. it's not even that. Like it's just a like, Scotty Pippen has? I, no, that's interesting. No, it's not that. It's the top is just sort of like, I, I don't know that my patella closed bright. I, it's, it's weird up there. I'm just really <laughs> grateful I have a full head of hair. Yes, that's you all. have a nice head of hair. Uh, November 8th, don't forget to go buy No Job for a Man. You write this book, very personal stuff in here. And then your kids say, hey, I want to read that book, dad. And I say no. You did say no? I say no, yeah. They haven't read this. They have not read it, no. When, what age are they allowed to read it? They are, they have the second I die. No, um, they, uh, I don't know. I, um. They're secretly going to listen to that audio book. I know, I know. I just, I, I'm going to do everything in my power to push it off because, um, uh, and we can get into it. You know, there's stuff in there about, you know, being in your twenties and in the nineties and discovering online porn when that was just like. It was like the frontier, you know, like, oh my God, yeah. look at all this stuff. Um, and you know, the 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 longer uh my kids the longer my kids go without being exposed to that aspect of their dad, the better. Um You just are you gonna re- just have a redacted copy? I might have a redacted I might like uh have uh it'll look like one of those uh, like it'll look like <laughs> the Pentagon papers or something. It'll be like there'll be huge black marks throughout uh uh chunks of it. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm candid with my kids to a point where, where I'm also still establishing good boundaries, Sure, which is something that was not one of my dad's strong suits. Mm -hmm. But honestly, even if they end up reading this book, they will still not be as exposed to my past as much as my father exposed me to his past just by talking to me. Just something about that generation where they just like didn't hold anything back. And it's like, I do not need to hear about the hooker in the army, dad. I just don't. That (laughs) is none of my business, dad. Let's be honest. uh, Our kids might be sick of us. They might not. They they might not want to read that at all. Very good point. Very. I live with this douchebag. I do not need to read his memoir. I've lived it. I don't. Yeah, I'm all set. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they just kind of scroll you know thumb through to the back yeah. till they see their own names and read right. that part and put it down um yeah we'll see like, um this is uh, this will be episode i think 669 670 of this podcast oh I, who did I, who got 666 oh we did a devil music one with me and uh, my nephew kyle and his wife oh sweet nice so we uh so i'm like like when i die my kids could go back and still hear my voice and hear all this but they're they're not going to i <laughs> They're not going to listen to it. I wonder, though, you know, I don't know. Or whatever I, I, might be left. I wish I had footage of my dad, um, you know, and I and maybe they take it for granted because there is so much footage of their parents. You right. know, but um, but I, I I wish I had like more of my dad's stuff, some semblance of his voice. My kids never met him. Yeah. You know, and it would be kind of cool to have something like that Mm -hmm. to look back on, to sort of uh, um, reflect on. So maybe they'll be completely sick of me. Um, uh, But yeah, they, 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 they do suffer from a certain amount of overexposure, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on to Simon and Garfunkel, one of my favorites. It, well, my, my parents yeah. had Garfunkel uh, signature right up there. Oh yeah. Yeah. On the Bridge of Troubled Water yeah. album. Yeah. Look at that. My parents record collection was, um, kind of limited. They were not, 
so my parents were not boomers mm -hmm. and i don't imagine your parents were boomers either no, i am a generation. boomer i think i'm like the last you're of the cusp. boom cusp of the boomer you're cusp yeah. of boomer yeah my yeah. parents are both 85 right now okay yeah so they're same as my um my parents would be in their 80s if okay. they were alive as well so that's silent generation yeah. who came between the greatest generation and the boomers okay uh did your dad serve in the military yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. He was drafted. Did he serve in either Korea or I think Vietnam? He enlisted. I think he enlisted. He enlisted. Okay. Uh, he didn't see any. No. No. You know. It would have been probably late yeah. 1950s. Right. We were at. Uh, we were between the wars at that point, and um, that's exactly where my dad was. My dad uh, went to Thailand, uh, quote, to send Uncle Ho a message. Um, basically, <laughs> like he basically acts like my dad was there, like you know, he was the last defense against communism taking over Vietnam. But like, no, you were in the medical battalion during peacetime, so yeah. you were curing venereal disease, and that's what you were doing in Bangkok for six months. Um, hated being in the army but was still very proud to be a veteran. That's how my dad is. Yeah. Like, he'll go, it's Veterans Day, aren't you gonna wish your dad happy? I'm like, you didn't see any battle. You and, you know, and, and we used to argue about that. And yes, technically, if you served in the military, there's a difference between a veteran and a combat yeah. veteran, yes. but you are still technically Thank a veteran. Thank you for your service, You absolutely dads. served, by yes. all means. Um, and uh, so, but he's getting the army disc. He's getting the discounts when he goes. Oh, places. totally. Oh no, well, a military my, discount. I got a flag when my dad died. You know yeah. the whole deal, and that's great. Um, but my because of that though, because they were a little bit older, they they didn't miss rock. But rock wasn't talking directly to them, right? In a way that like your softer folk was, or or your show tunes. You know, we so we yeah. had a massive array of original cast See, recordings. We had like sing along at Mitch albums and Andy Williams, and then like uh -huh. then there'd be some country. There'd be like some uh, Charlie Rich or some Tammy oh, Wynette would okay. be sneak yeah. in there. But there were some Simon and Garfunkel albums in there. I remember that for a fact. well, it was interesting. Like Simon and Garfunkel, Judy Collins, the kind of softer folk. None mm. of the no Dylan, no Phil Oaks, no, none of the edgy shit. No, nothing that was gonna make a statement. Yeah, no, no, like Dave Ronk or any of that stuff. Like really, like the gentler well-produced folk was yeah. what they what they had they had a lot of comedy records for which i'm intensely grateful yes a ton of cosby mm. there's no way around it we <sighs> grew up our age we i just, know we all had the cosby records i know we learned a great deal about storytelling and timing from the guy mm. and uh and hopefully that's all you learned from and me. that's all i learned yeah. and and a little and a tip or two about wooing women um, I'm kidding. Please don't cancel me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but you know, Carlin, mm. we had some Carlin. We had a Richard Pryor record. I don't remember which one. It was not one of the ones that had the N word in the title, but it was, um, it was one of the, I can't remember which one it was. Um, we had, um, Oh, we had Bob Newhart, Tales of the Button Down Mind. Yes, yes. Um, we, and I've gotten to meet Bob Newhart. He did a, an arc on on Big Bang. And yeah, that's I, great. I got to shake his hand. Um, and, you know, I, I always say that anytime I, anytime I pause in the middle of a joke, I should send Bob Newhart a check. <laughs> he taught us how to weaponize the pause in a way right. that no one else managed. Um, the timing is just astonishing on... Uh, Oh God, he's so good. He's even, you know, he's in his 80s uh, and he was in his 80s when he was doing Big Bang. Yeah, he's gotta be in his 90s now. Yeah, he was, there was a tiny, it was a little slower than at his peak, so say all of us, but yeah. it was still scientifically calibrated. He would just like wait. And sometimes you'd be like, oh, he's hunting for the line. And sometimes you're like, no, no, no. 
He's waiting. He's a he's surgeon. Gonna, he's gonna. He's a surgeon. Yeah. He's gonna let this laugh build, and then he's gonna strike. He's sharpening the scalpel. He's getting there. Ready. It is. Yeah. Boom. And it would be amazing to watch. I strongly. You can find them if you've never seen an episode of of Big Bang. You can find the New Heart episodes uh, or the New Heart scenes on YouTube. Completely worth watching because he is in his element. He plays a. Um, a uh, the old host of a children's science show that was a huge influence on Sheldon, yeah. Professor Proton, <laughs> and um, he uh, and he's kind of really uncomfortable with Sheldon fanboying on him, and uh, the dynamic between the two of them is really fun to watch. Yeah. It must be cool when you're when you're producers and writers of a sitcom, and and that this part comes up in the script, and they're like, "Do you think we could get Bob Newhart?" No, right. And you're like, no, we, he wouldn't want to do that. And then they get him. And then they get him. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. It was really exciting. From Sounds of Silence, Somewhere They Can't Find Me. Why this song? Um, it's, it's a rockier one. Mm. And it's sort of, it's funny too, because it's, um, uh, it's, it's in that genre of folk of like, I'm a badass on the run. <laughs> and I'm like, well, Paul Simon, you're five foot five. Yeah. You're from Corona. You haven't killed anybody. Yeah. Um, you're not a badass on the run, yeah. but it's him playing that yeah. character. And it's got this kind of like uh, creepy uh, jazz guitar line. It's got a certain scary menace to it. Yep. I love this whole album, honestly. Yeah. I, this, I, I, they have a perfect discography as far really as their do. studio albums. They re- their studio albums are, are flawless. Yeah. There's just there there's just hit, hit, hit. And then the, the deep cuts like this one are really good too. Yep. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit. Here we go. can hear the soft breathing of the girl that I love As she lies here beside me, asleep with the night And a hair in a fine mist floats on my pillow Reflecting the glow of the winter moonlight But I've got to creep down the alleyway, fly down the highway that harmony is gorgeous too. Yeah, art hitting that high note yep. up there. Obviously, the hits are undeniable from Simon and Garfunkel, but the deep cuts should not be missed. Go no, they check really, it out. they really shouldn't. And I'm, I this is the first time I've listened to that. In, on headphones yes and the separation yeah is really is cool really nice because yeah. at first you're like oh something's wrong with the right oh there's the bass no yeah yeah and and then uh and then the guitar kind of sneaks into the right ear mm-hmm. yeah there's some it's it's a really um yeah it's a perfect discography you're absolutely right yep. i love that stuff all right and now i think we're moving into where john ross bowie's musical tastes are coming into i, I think at view. this point i start listening to the radio okay and, um, you know, radio in the early 80s was really fun because it was very eclectic. Even yeah. top 40 radio, radio was, and this isn't necessarily represented in what I'm playing here, right. but you would hear Quiet Riot into Musical Youth into Pat Benatar. <laughs> it was crazy. And You um, too, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, yeah. Michael Jackson, Prince, mm-hmm. Cyndi Lauper, yeah. just all um, over the place. Uh, Shannon let the music play. The one-hit wonders from that era are yep. fascinating. Matthew Wilder is nothing going to break my stride. Um, and, uh, you know, you, I see Business as Usual by Men at mm-hmm. Work up there. I, I'm Men at Work, I always marvel at their... Because that's a, that's a great album. Their first two albums, that one and Cargo, are excellent. But you... 
you think of back on that now and you're like, okay, it's the dawn of music video. Okay. Yeah. We now have to look at these bands. Mm -hmm. Who's our next hit? Well, listen, I got this Australian reggae band. I'm like, oh, wait, are they cute? The lead singer's got male pattern baldness and a lazy eye. Yeah. Are we doing this? Are we putting them on TV? That's, yes, we are. That, that's Colin Hayes' imprint label is Lazy Eye Records. Is it really? Because he knows. He knows. How could he not? Um, and uh, But he's a magnificent songwriter and, and a storyteller. Yep. interesting voice. And I love those records. Yep. I will go back to, uh, and again, I'll go deep cut on, on that. Um, there's some great shit all throughout that those first two records. Um, and by the way, we're not playing a Minute Works on. We're right not now. playing a Minute Works on. No, it's not reflected in the playlist necessarily. But again, listening to top forty radio in the early '80s, and I'm not a golden age thinker. There's you know, there's good music being made right now, but top forty radio specifically, that medium was very eclectic and fun. Yes, in, in absolutely. Eighty to eighty-five, really, really fun. And I think it's probably how I ended up hearing. What are we going into now? Go Go's. Go Go's. Yeah. So this is my first rock concert. First one I ever go to, I, I see the Go-Go's on the talk show tour. Um, uh, I have since befriended them on social media. Yeah, I've, is, had, I've had um, I've had uh, Kathy on the show. Oh, Kathy. Oh, and, Kathy. They're and I've also, also had Gina on the show. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, both fantastic yeah. storytellers. Oh, yes, so fun. Um, really interesting. Uh, Kathy has a, a, a great book out. And I'm um, going and to see Belinda at the in Thousand Oaks uh, on November 3rd, I believe. Oh, nice. Solo tour. I caught them on uh, this last tour. They played... Um, what is now the crypto.com arena. <laughs> oh, I can't take uh, these titles of these, these names of these arenas. But they had a great set, um, really career spanning, really fun. Um, so yeah, the Go-Go's were doing something that I didn't realize I needed yet, which was just really cranking up the guitars yeah. in a fun way. Um, and I, I didn't, and I, chicks to look at and they were, and they were adorable too. And all my, all the girls I knew had Duran Duran. I was like, well, who's my Duran Duran? And oh, I, these five, these five ladies from Los Angeles. And then the more I got to know about them and the more, and then I started to get into punk rock and realized I had, you know, they had come from the LA punk scene. Yeah. They'd been polished a little bit, but the guitars on this first record kick, they've got real teeth to yeah. them. Yeah. And, and Gina is a monster drummer. Yes, Beats she is. the shit out of those drums. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff. I don't think I do one of the singles. I think, what did I do? This Town. This Town, which is, um, a great guitar, twin guitar attack, Charlotte and Jane, kicking ass on it. Um, play it. Here we go. He demanded me to play it. Yeah, it's so cool. We are now the chosen toys of catty girls and pretty boys. Make up that face, jump in the Kathy's work on there, going up and down the neck on the bass, is so interesting. And it's it's, it's you know not even her first instrument either. I know, I know. It's it's the it's funny, you listen to it in hindsight now and you're like, okay, so 
you 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 pick a more guitar oriented Simon and Garfunkel song with a lot of great harmonies. Yep. And then it's yeah, it's a pretty quick segue from there where you went like, okay, I like these guitars. What if they were a little bit louder? Boom, here we are at the Go Go's. Great harmonies again. Jane is Jane is as good a singer as she is. She's a magnificent backup vocalist. Yes. She is a mag she adds so much color to these songs. It's really magical to listen to. They are um and there's 15 years between the two songs we just played, 66 to 81. Oh God, yeah, I guess there is, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, I um, in I, I backtrack a little bit and I get into some more 70s stuff, but it's not my favorite era of music. I never had a big, I didn't have an older brother, so I didn't have a big classic rock phase. So like, I'm not a big Floyd fan. I'm not a big Zeppelin fan. Um, See, I, I had an older brother. Okay. And he's uh, he's six years older than me. Okay. But he listened to the music that my mom and my grandmother would listen to. So he would listen to Andy Williams and that kind of stuff. Oh, interesting. The only artist that I was introduced to through my brother was Neil Diamond. Because huh. he was a huge Neil Diamond fan. And, okay. And I am now too. I like and, Neil, yeah. And he also had the first Boston album. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's yeah. it. And that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so that stuff, like, it wasn't, you had other... There's so much. There's so many things that go into how you're musically shaped. Right in New York, we had a classic rock station, but it wasn't the only station. You know, it's the biggest radio market in the country. So it, you know, it wasn't like you just had. There's a lot of small towns, and I'm speaking in very broad generalities. But there were a lot of small towns where you had a classic rock station. You had a maybe you had a distant cities public radio affiliate. And you had a religious station and a country station. And there was so much to listen to in um, New York that if I didn't feel like WPLJ, which was the big classic rock, you know, Scott Muni and everything, and I, I would listen to, uh, um, you know, Stairway to Heaven came on one time. I was like, oh, this is Stairway to Heaven. I've heard of this. This is long. Um, and I just, <laughs> for whatever reason, it didn't hit me. And I've got, yeah. I, you know, I'm not like... Uh, uh, a snob. I'm not a snob anymore. I was when I was a kid. I think kids are always douchebags about music, especially punk rock kids. <laughs> right. But um, uh, and I've I've gone back and appreciated that stuff uh, on for what it is now. But um, yeah, I would have I I missed a lot of the '70s while it was going yeah. on. Um, and I would have just been growing up and listening to whatever records. You know, my parents certainly didn't have any of that stuff. So it's show tunes and folk music. And then when I discover music on my own, it's the early 80s. And we're off to the races. And we are moving on to big country. So big country are um, hugely significant for me. One of the other things my dad has was uh, he was the child of Scottish immigrants. His parents were from Glasgow. Okay. And he had a lot of genuine traditional Scottish folk music, which I was, I even like bagpipes. I even like the sound of bagpipes. So suddenly this band comes along from Scotland. They make their guitars sound like bagpipes, but the guitars are also loud and chewy. And they had come out of the Glasgow punk scene. They, yeah. Stuart Adamson had been in a band called The Skids beforehand. Um, and they're writing these big, hard-on-your-sleeve anthems that are sort of my bridge between the stuff my dad was listening to and then the punk rock that I was about to discover. Yeah. But it's a very clear musical evolution from my dad getting shit-faced and putting on uh, uh, Kenneth McKellar or what have you and um, and sometimes being in a good mood and sometimes being really weepy about the old country he'd never visited, whole thing. Um, and then... Uh, 
and then from there, it's a quick jump to discovering the Ramones and all the other stuff that was going on. But this is Harvest Home, which was the third undersung single from the Great Crossing album. So you listen to this guy and you, you compare and contrast with with the um, the the posturing of, say, Mick Jagger, who desperately wants you to believe he's from Mississippi and that he didn't go to the London School of Economics. And Adamson, you can hear him like rolling his R's yeah. and the consonants have like an edge to them because he's fucking Scottish yep, and he's he not going to pretend it. to be anything else, yeah. you know? And uh, if you go on YouTube, I'm a huge big country fan. I was very upset when Stuart Adamson passed. Rock and peace. Stuart Rock Adamson. and peace, Stuart Adamson. But you go back to their early interviews, you can barely understand a fucking word they're saying. It's thick. <laughs> it's, it's like five trans buttons. It's so they're so unapologetically Scottish. And my dad was so unapologetically Scottish and, I was like, oh, here's this thing that like connects my dad to the music I'm listening to right now. And I played it for him. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. And that's that's a guitar. They can they can do that with a guitar. That's crazy. Um, but um, yeah, hugely important band for me. And I uh, um, there's I go about three albums deep with them and then they get a little inconsistent. But um, The Crossing, Steel Town and The Seer are great full length records. Um, that I go back to without any, not even with like a sense of like, oh, this will be fun nostalgia. I'll be like, I'm going to work out to this today. This is what I'm listening to. <laughs> well, a shout out to listener Tom Neuerberg, who always tells me, you need to play more big country on the show. So there's a little of it for you, Tom. I'll try to do more. I'll try my best. That's excellent. Now, Thank you, Tom. Do you have a musical relationship with your kids? Do they, do you, do they play stuff for you and you play stuff for them? Yeah. Which I didn't have that with my parents, but I no. love, I love it. It's so much it's fun. It's so much fun. And I, I had a little bit of that with my parents. My dad was, again, my dad was born in 1937. You know, mm. there's just so much about the Ramones he's going to enjoy, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but um, maybe he'd enjoy What a Wonderful World, Joey's uh, solo tape. I don't know that he lived to, to hear that, no, did he? Probably, yeah. did, probably did not. Um, yes, no, the, the, the. Joey didn't live to hear it. Yeah, really. It's true. <laughs> um, the, the give and take with my kids is. Um, wonderful they're hipping me to stuff i'm hipping them to stuff mm -hmm. um what was interesting is that um you mentioned ant-man uh earlier so my son is 12 i have seen not all the marvel movies mm -hmm. but a lot of the marvel movies and the guardians of the galaxy movie movies are both really funny and they've got these insane older brother soundtracks yes yes so my my son will be like, okay, I want to listen to Fox on the Run by Sweet. And I'm like, great, you AM radio DJ from 1973, you go ahead and play that. Okay, yeah. boomer. Yeah. Um, so, Rita's like, play Come and Get Your Love. That's the yeah, one I like. It's like, yeah. Right. Um, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, listen to, I'll listen to Cheap Trick all the time. Man. I'm going to crank surrender. Let's hear yeah. this. Have you heard She's Tight? Don't tell your mother I played you She's Tight. You know? <laughs> um, so it's, it's really, um, so it's so interesting what they find on their own that is related to me. They discovered, I don't know how, but they discovered the Pixies on their own. And I think it's through TikTok. So I think it's through TikTok. TikTok is where they find these songs because 
Rita will be singing a song. I'm like, how do you know that song? She's like, it's in TikTok. Yeah. It's a big TikTok song. Yeah. Um, they, they, knew, um, they knew Teenage Dirtbag before it became a massive <laughs> TikTok phenomenon because I'd actually seen Weedus live a couple times. Um, but then they've gotten me into, there's this rush lately that Nola has picked up on and that I'm sort of adherent to of incredible female singer-songwriters like uh, Biba Doobie yes. and Phoebe Bridgers mm-hmm. uh, and... Um, who was the one she just played? <laughs> Did she listen to Claro? Yeah, Claro, so, Soccer Mommy. There's a bunch of great so shit. Claro, Rita would always play Claro in the car on the way to school. And it didn't it didn't really grab me that much. But then we went to see Claro at the Greek theater, and I was blown away oh, at that's how so cool. amazing the show was and how great this girl was, the performer. And she was, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing night. So now I'm all in on Clara. It's really incredible. My, my son, um, was, got really interested in, um, 70s classic rock and, uh, from Guardians. And I was like, well, listen, you like scary things and you like classic rock. I should introduce you to Kiss. Um, so we played some Kiss and then, uh, right before the lockdown, we went to go see Kiss at the Kia Forum. Okay. And I, it was so funny because- Had you ever seen them before? I had never seen them before, but I was like, Walter, let's go. They've been on my bucket list forever. You should absolutely see them. This is probably, they're circling the drain, I think. Let's get out (laughs) there and do this. They've been circling it for 10 years with the farewell tour. I know, I know. But, um- we go, and it was so funny because I show up and I'm like, man, I'm such a badass. I'm taking my kid to see Kiss. Dude, everybody had their kid there. Everyone had Every, their People kid. had their grandkids. It was my at, first concert, 1979. Really? It was 15, yeah. Um, what album is that? Destroyer? Dynasty. Dynasty. Oh, Dynasty. that one right there, yeah. yeah. It's, it's right over your head and it's signed by, it looks like everybody. Everybody. Wow. My, uh, now, it's, it's personal. I've told this story before, but you don't know it. It's personalized to Pat, and this is why. My friend was a cast member of of uh, mad tv in in 1996 pat kilbane oh i know pat yeah when um i mean i don't know him but when, i'm familiar with yeah, the work yeah when uh kiss was going to be on so i called him i said hey kiss is going to be on can i come down for that taping he goes absolutely you can and then like two days later he goes absolutely you cannot oh he yeah. goes everybody and their brother wants to come down right right and i said well if i brought a couple albums down could you get them signed he goes yeah so when he had them signed they just said he just said they're for pat and then so they're personalized yeah, they're personal. Because he's Pat. As far as, as far as you know, they're personal. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. So uh, I don't even know where we went. Oh, okay. So the show, did he enjoy the show? Oh, we had a great time. Are you kidding? Oh, my yeah. God. They opened with D- Detroit Rock City. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they they fin- sing that song about their penis, Love Gun. It's great. Yeah, we got, we got, we didn't say for the whole thing, but we, um, we, you know, I mean, it's insane. It's there's because he got tired. He got be- tired. Okay, he got tired. Um, he would have been ten when we did this, okay. I think. Um, but it was wonderful. We had a really, really good time, and um, yeah. So there's fun little like back and forth things like that. Um, uh, where they'll introduce me to something, and that'll trigger something in me, and I'll send something back to them. And we have lawn drives in the car. Um, yeah. for various reasons. And Do you take them to and from school? I take them to and from school. So that's and that's time you... That's time right it's there. It's precious time. It's precious time, and it's also time where um, I can uh, I can hold my own school, or mm-hmm. I can hand the phone to them and let them uh, right. teach me. Um, but they, um, with a couple exceptions, they haven't introduced anything that sucks. Um, yeah. You know, they haven't done anything where I'm like, oh, this is fucking garbage. Stop playing yeah. this in my car. There's been a couple of uh, times where I'm like, I do not like this at all. Yeah. But only a few, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, uh, there's, 
Yeah. I, and I can't even remember the artist's name. I can't either. And I probably wouldn't even say it anyway because I don't feel like talking shit today. I want to keep things positive. But um, the, uh, yeah, it's, it is a wonderful thing letting your kids, watching your kids discover music and share it with you. It's just, there's nothing like it. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm not one of these dads that was like, I don't need to share my, like, I got to be honest, uh, and I hope you're not like this, but I hate the dad who has to show his kids Star Wars when the kid's two. No, yeah, it doesn't. It's pointless. I'm yeah. like, look, he's going to hate it, it too. He's not going to care. Yeah. Just let them discover their own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they, like I, was at a, I was at an Alice Cooper concert at the Greek theater, and there was a dad there, and he had his, like, eight-year-old daughter and his 12-year-old daughter, and they, I'm like, hey, weekend dad. Get a sitter if you want to go see Alice Cooper. These kids don't like this at all. They're yeah. not and that you can see the dad was like, What do you, what do you think? I'm like, no, they don't they don't want this. I you know, I've less I I've probably um especially during lockdown, there were probably moments like sure. we're sitting down, we're gonna watch this movie. Sometimes it worked <laughs> and sometimes it didn't. Um Last uh, Tango in Paris. <laughs> let's round him up. Let's get going. Uh, yeah, let's do this, guys. Sala by Pasolini. Sit down. Um but Jamie, you only talk in Boston trash during this movie. <laughs> um it's um but yeah, I think it's it's so much better if things come up a little more organically. Yes, I do too. I and, really do. And there are other movies that I can't wait for them to see, but I will wait for them exactly. to see because exactly. I hate for them. I'll tell you what we did. We, I, I jumped the gun and I showed them Spinal Tap before they were ready. Yeah. And it and first off, Spinal Tap is is a little more subtle than you remember. Yeah. Considering what it's about, mm -hmm. it's actually much more understated than you recall, and you don't notice that until you're watching it with an 11 year old. <laughs> um, but um, and they didn't hate it, right. but they didn't recognize it for the fucking brilliance that it is. At the same time, my daughter, the theater geek, loves Guffman. Oh, loves Guffman waiting is, for Guffman. I love it too. You know, it's so and, good. and it is great. And and so that's her Spinal Tap because she's a weird little theater kid. <laughs> Godspeed, great. Um, so yeah, you you it's best to let them find their their own thing. Now, hopefully their own thing won't be sniffing glue. I hope so. I hope so. But this, so this song is here because this was the reason I bought this record without having heard a single song on it. I had heard Rockaway Beach because a camp counselor had played it for me. Such a great but, song. But the first Ramones record I bought was the first Ramones record, just called Ramones. And I flipped over the cassette and the song titles made me laugh largely this one now i want to sniff some glue which i still think is hilarious because they have so many i wanna and i don't wanna songs <laughs> yes but it's the now that pushes this over the edge i think it's that <laughs> sense of like i got a bunch of things to get done i never this thought about it like that oh it, it cracks me up i couldn't figure it out for years why it made me laugh so much but there was that sense of like all right, well, I crossed a bunch of things off my list this morning. I uh, went to the grocery store. I got a car wash, got my oil changed, which I've been sleeping on for a while. And now I want to sniff some glue. I just, I, the sense of it being like one more thing on the on the errand list yep. on this particular day. On Joey's list. Is, Probably Dee Dee's list. Wouldn't? Yeah, yeah. But it's hilarious to me. And it, it rocks. It's just a great song. It really does. A minute and 36 seconds of fun. Listen to this on headphones. Very important on headphones. One, two, three, four. Now I want us to sunglass. Now I want us to death. All the kids want us to sunglass. All the kids want sun to death. 
So when it was initially released, it was released in stereo. And then when they did the remastering job a few years ago, they mixed it down to their original intent was to have it in mono. Mm -hmm. I prefer the stereo mix because the guitar is isolated in the right channel. The bass is isolated in the left. And when I started to learn bass in college, I was like, what? I can just go to the Ramones record, remix it myself, put everything in the left channel and follow yeah. Dee Dee. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not the first person to have noticed this. I'm not the first person to have taught themselves bass this way. This is a universal truth that the first Ramones record is a tutorial in easy, straightforward punk rock bass. Um, Sid Vicious should have listened to this that way. He really should have. That's Glenn Matlock on the album. But yes, you absolutely, <laughs> he absolutely should have. Um, so yeah, the, the, the progression of like, okay, Big Country and the Go-Go's are great. I'm sorry, I still want louder guitars. I still need yeah. my guitars to be louder. Super loud. Yeah, and um, and that coupled with, and here's where we get into, again, my father being an influence because there were so many comedy records around the house. I had, on my own volition, got into Weird Al, and I loved the idea of rock music that could also make you laugh. And... um. Uh, beat on the brat today your love tomorrow the world there's so many great song titles on this record there's so many funny ramon songs um uh, uh teenage lobotomy on their third record on rocket to russia has one of my all-time favorite couplets um now i guess i have to tell him that i got no cerebellum, cerebellum. Yeah. i mean come on that's just so good I wonder if Sondheim ever heard that rhyme. Um, <laughs> I, I love it so much. So now it's all coming together and I sort of, my life has shape now. I'm like, okay, here's what I love. I like laughing. I like loud guitars. And I like a sort of gleeful amateurishness in my music as well. I like the sense of like, I don't necessarily, and this I think is something that, one of the reasons I didn't connect with Zeppelin until much later, I was like, these guys are alien to me. I mean, they're fucking yeah. incredible technicians. I will never understand this, let alone be able to reproduce it myself. You listen to the Ramones, you're like, no, oh, I, I might be able to do this. I might be able to pull this off. This is something <laughs> I might be able to, this is a level of art I could perhaps achieve are, with minimal uh, rehearsal. Are the Ramones, the Three Stooges, and Led Zeppelin, the Marx Brothers? Is that how it... Uh, I know. Well, that's an interesting. I've never thought about it that way. I, I see. I prefer the Marx Brothers to the Three Stooges, but uh. I, I, they are, um, hmm, they are the Jackson Pollock to the Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> okay, that's. I like that. Um, there, there is, um, just something scrappier and untrained about them that there's the the self-taught um quality to their music i've just always found incredibly appealing and accessible yeah and, and they, i i'm so bummed out when i still our friends are like oh the ramones everything sounds the same and i'm like mm. it's not the point it's not the point yeah. at all you know and by the way there's a lot of bands about whom you could say yeah. that i'm sorry what, like you're talking about the sonic versatility of the police or I mean, the first couple of police records are, they they have a sound. It's a yeah. great sound. Yeah. No one else is doing it, but it's their sound. Yeah. The first couple of Kiss records yep. until that disco experiment. Um, you know, the the first There's Who a- records are are very, the first Kinks records, it's the same fucking riff. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you most bands have a sound. ACDC. Yeah. There's a great quote by uh, Stephen King. Someone said to him, 
well, ACDC, every song's the same. And Stephen King said, what's your point? Yeah, I, I, and he's also a massive Ramones fan. Yeah, um, legend holds that uh, Dee Dee went over to his house, um, talked about Pet Cemetery with him, went into his basement and wrote the song Pet Cemetery. Because <laughs> um, Stephen King was a massive Ramones fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is your point? This band has a sound. You like it or you don't. If you don't like it, that's fine. Yeah, then I think, move on. But don't then, shit on it because I like it. Yeah. I. 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 I and this is coming from playwright uh, John Ross Bowie. Four chords and a gun. I, I wrote a play about the Ramones. Because are you are you excited about the Phil Spector documentary docu series that's coming on? Yeah, I I will watch it. I he is a fascinatingly fucked up guy um, who did I horrible things. Did horrible things. And paid and, for them and and paid for them and changed the way we listen to music to a certain extent and brought a virtuosity to rock music production that was not seen beforehand. Yeah. One of the reasons I wrote that play, it's about the recording of uh, End of the Century, which was the Ramones album that Phil Spector produced. I wrote it because I, I was, again, it, it comes to, down to how we relate to work. The Ramones mm. were used to recording an album in a week, two weeks. Yeah. And he would spend a week on a single guitar chord. and But he loved the Ramones and the Ramones loved him at least professionally. Yeah. So um, they were willing, they were willing a little to bit, try this yeah, a little bit. And then everything went haywire yeah. and he brought in session guys. And it's a, it's a question of like who actually is on the record. Uh, is it in fact a Ramones record? Is it a Joey record solo that is just called a Ramones right. record? It was also their best seller. Yeah. Ironically. I know it was also the last full length album he produced. He did a couple singles in the, but he, did not produce a full-length album after End of the Century. So it was this beginning and end of, it was a peak, it was a valley. The band went through horrible personal turmoil, what was going on, and I condensed dates a little bit, but what really drew me was these contrasting work ethics. Yeah. And because I find that's just a theme in my life, I think that's just how people approach work, how much... It's the old adage about, you know, how much perspiration and how much inspiration yeah. are you going to put into something, you know? Yeah. And I, I just thought this dynamic of the Ramones and Phil Spector examined that in a really interesting way. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. How do you handle a negative review? I loved Four Chords and a Gun. Thank you. But today... Today I was like, what was the name of John's play? It was Oh, you Googled I, you Googled it and you found did you find the Chicago Reader review? I think I found a review from Canada. Oh yeah, because they did a, a, a Toronto. Oh boy, she hated me. And I was like She hated me. And I I didn't even read it because I just like I read the the I read the the headline yeah. and then the the number of stars at the end. I was like, wow, what did this person see? I handle it, you know, there was some issues that she had with the production. Look, I've seen things that my friends have done <laughs> that isn't good. Right. You know, sure. and I wouldn't- All of us. And yes, we've all seen it. I wouldn't sit across from you and tell me that I, tell you that I liked it. If I didn't, I would avoid even talking about it. Absolutely. So I did um, love it. I thought it was fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I was really happy with the LA production. It was I great. I was really happy with the LA production. I had a couple issues with 
the production that went to that started in Canada and then went to Chicago. Um, I think it, the, I think the venues mm-hmm. both places were a little too large. I wrote a smaller, cozier play than than those places. Um, I. You know, you got to roll with it. You know, you, you, the era of social media has opened all of us up to criticism, whether we put something out there or not. So I take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. I will say this, the Chicago Reader review of my Ramones play, the headline was, hey, ho, don't go. And I'm- <laughs> Now look, that's I, funny. I gotta give it up. That's I funny. have to give it up. That's Listen, my, yeah, I, mean, I am Eileen Bowie's son. Eileen Bowie loved wordplay. I had to give it up to, hey, ho, don't go. I yeah. don't know who wrote it, but I doffed my cap. Um, I wrote the play I wanted to write. I am, uh, actors love doing it. Yes. Which is why it kept getting produced, and and there's interest again now. Up, uh, it's too early to say anything, but um, actors love doing it. Um, were you and, gonna, were you going to drop a, an exclusive there for a no? Second? I don't. It's it's not. It's too early to, All right. to, to, All to right. drop it. All right. But what's interesting is that even the bad reviews will say things like you know. Um, the actor playing Phil Spector rises above the script. Um, the actor playing Linda Ramone does her best with this material. I'm like, well, <laughs> it might actually be the material. If every actor who plays Phil Spector gets a good review and every actress who plays Linda yeah. gets a good review, and they do, it might be the, the, a little the, bit of the it's script. It's the written Some word. Some of it might be it on the be page, the written right? Word. But, um, you know, it, it, you, you can't take the bad things too seriously. You can't take the good things yeah. too seriously. We we read the bad reviews. Like when we get an Apple, a, a bad iTunes review, like my nephew will go, oh, we got a bad one. And then we just read it because- I we, can't help it, Because it, yeah. it's just hysterical to me. Because sometimes you read it and you go, this person's never listened, really listened to the show. They've listened to- a bit of it and then wrote a one star review based on what yeah, they heard. Yeah. So. I, I am, uh, I, I am able to take it with a grain of salt. I've been yeah. at this a while. Uh, you're not going to be, uh, I am not something for everyone. Yeah. I am not puppies or Tom Hanks. I am, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to alienate some people, um, uh, such as life. But, um, but yeah, I, I, it kind of sucks because, when you Google the show, it's one of the first things to come up yeah. that is that uh, vicious um, uh, review. This is nothing. I'm sorry. That's total spam. I got a, a text. Can, can we do like another half hour? We actually will do like 20 minutes. Okay, great. And then the file, then I have to change a file, but that's usually... Okay, great. That's great. usually what I like to do. This is a, this is a, we're, we're coming up. What's the next song? The next song is a song by the Dickies. Now, this is where we get into some songs that I don't know. I know the band names. Like mm-hmm. if you said Descendants, I'm like, yeah, that's a band. Yeah. Okay. Name, name a Descendants song. I don't know. Okay. You okay. Know? So this is a song called Rosemary. Now, why this song? This was- um, It's your mom's name. Uh, it's not. No. Okay. Um, uh, good. She was Eileen. Um, my- um, so the Dickies were another band that I started, once I started to enjoy Ramones and I was like, okay, this is clear that I am enjoying this punk rock stuff. What else is in this genre? And obviously no internet, no radio play. Mm-hmm. You're going by word of mouth or um, uh, you'll, you'll see a review in a fanzine that says, oh, this reminds me of blank, this other band you might like. But the... I picked up this record in Tower Records, uh, the Dickie Stukas over Disneyland, and the second song was called She's a Hunchback, um, and the <laughs> the uh, eighth song was called If Stuart Could Talk, and that title alone made me laugh, and then it's even funnier because it's about the lead singer's penis, which he's named Stuart. Um, <laughs> but, but what 
got me initially was this gorgeous guitar pop song um, that leads the record off called Rosemary, which is like, it's like fast Beatles. Mm -hmm. It's soaring. The Dickies were, um, were signed to A&M. Uh, they were signed to a major for their first two records, um, and because you know the the major labels were like, oh, you know, where, where's our yeah. Blondie? Where's our you know? Right. Um, where's our Talking Heads? Where's our, this punk thing is happening right now? Give me that. Um, and those records didn't sell, and they've been on a string of indies ever since. Um, but they're just great pop craftsmen, and I think this is a great example of that. This is Rosemary, and the album title is Stukas. Stukas over Disneyland. Stukas is a German warplane. Okay. So the picture. The picture is a a. a German warplane over these quaking mouse ears. (laughs) It's in horrible taste. Horrible taste. Here's Rosemary. She's my girl. She's so wonderful. I love her so. Rosemary. Kisses galore. And I think the whole world of her. Rosemary. Rosemary. She's a girl that I adore. She's I mean, what else? What else do you want, man? Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, That's... verse, chorus, harmonies. The drums on that song are so bright and joyous. The snare just pops gorgeously out of the mix without overpowering anything. It's fun, right? Yeah, I mean, it's got everything that I like. So, I mean, that like when I hear a song like that, it makes me want to go and listen to albums by that band. Yeah, I. It's a. Uh, uh, they're just. And they were really funny live too. Their their banter was always really funny, and that was a huge. You know, I, there's a lot of actors who've influenced my work, and and actors that I've ripped off. But there's also punk rock frontmen that I've I've ripped off, and Leonard Phillips from the Dickies is absolutely on that list. He just was a charismatic, a genuinely. He sings really fast, and you have trouble understanding the lyrics, but the voice is there. Yeah. He's got, like, a nice vibrato. He can hit some very high notes still. He's in his 60s. They still play out. Um, yeah, the Dickies are a hugely influential band for me. Now, we're going to take uh, what do I want to say? We're going to take a detour here for a second. One of our listeners, Steve O'Dockerson, who's a Ren Fair performer. He, yes, he yeah, I met Steve. Yeah, he performs uh, under the name of Hob the Troll. When... I told him you were coming on the show. He went to your IMDb page and just looked through it. And then he put together some audio clips of what your audio book might be like without having read a word of this or anything. And Steve, this is, this Steve. is John Ross Bowie unauthorized biography. It's one minute long. I don't know what this is. He sent me three of these. We might not play all three, but let's hear one. Cause he put in the work. Yeah, no, by all means, by all means, here we go. I have no idea. I can't take credit. If it's great, I'll take credit. If it's horrible, I'll be, why did you do that? Okay, let's listen. Are you ready? Ready. The year was 2004, and I was thinking about current events, like how Martha Stewart was going to jail, and wondering if the Boston Red Sox would win the World Series. I was on the set of Happy Family as Coco Nate, a young hockey player about to leave his small town farm and open up an off-Broadway musical called Pucks a Poppin' when my agent called me up and said, Joan of Arcadia, you'll be playing Mr. Campbell. That's right. Will lunch be served? I asked politely (laughs) yet firmly. At least twice, they said. Well, hot damn. In my excitement, I yelled out a celebratory, whoopee! 
Then I felt the all-too-familiar sting of a semi-poisoned dart fired by Mr. John Larroquette. Mm -hmm. Christine Baranski helped me to my feet and said, (laughs) Wow, you took that far like a champ. Let me talk to my friend Gary Sinise. You've got Lester Jane energy I've never seen before. The next call I was going to receive was from CSI. All right, now is that at that's all pretty, how your that's, life is? That's, it? Pr- that's pretty close, yeah. Pretty close. It's dead, close, kind yeah. of dead on it. Yeah. All right. Um, those, yeah, those years did, uh, those gigs all did come. Uh, that's uh, Happy Family, Joan of Arcadia, CSI, New York. They all, uh, they all did come that year. Um, the character descriptions were a little off. <laughs> um, but, um, oh, Steve, man, Steve, the things you could be doing with your time. Um, the um he's a good guy i met him in uh in in florida we were at a we were at a con together um it was it pensacon it was pensacon yeah that's pretty cool it was pensacon yeah it was fun who was uh of all the just off the top of your head all the actors you've worked with who was like who was like the biggest revelation like oh my god this person is i never thought this person would be like this so much cooler or so much i don't know what but who who really stands out in your mind oh that's a good question you know uh well there's some people who show up and they're exactly what you want them to be and that's also awesome diane keaton okay shows up and she's annie hall she's got a hat on turtleneck she's got a hat on gloves inside and she's and you're you're doing bits with her and she'll do that kind of weird cadence where she'll uh uh, kind of uh, trail off in the middle of it okay (laughs) um and so that's amazing uh and um i did a uh one day on a movie called because i said so with her and and she was uh, she was Diane Keaton. She just has a brand to maintain, and she crushed it. Um, and it how was, do you maintain a professionalism and not fanboy out a little bit? Because I, I think you probably have a little bit of that in you, maybe a lot. Oh, I have you. a ton of fanboy in yeah. me, but I do squash it because I do need this person to view me as a colleague yes, for at least as a peer. A few hours, yeah. yeah. Um, I, for better or for worse, I rarely take photos with people. Okay, I rarely ask for a photo with people. Okay. Um, if someone's taking photos anyway, maybe I'll sneak in or I'll say, hey, John Cleese is playing my father-in-law. Can you take a photo of me and John Cleese without John Cleese noticing? Knowing, okay. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple of photos of me and John Cleese, which are, is great. And they look like candidates, too. Um, and as far as he's concerned, they are. <laughs> um, but... Um, I yeah, it's something I really struggle with because I am a fan. I'm a I'm a massive consumer of of entertainment, and I'm and I'm good with not just star names, but with character actor names. Yeah. You know, this is this is something I'm very um, attuned to. But I I kind of deny that part of me yeah. so I can maintain a certain professionalism and have this person view me as you know not some sort of stage door Johnny, right. but. A uh, guy who's working today. Cause, yes, because you're working together now. When I have a when I have a uh, celebrity guest or mu- celebrity musician on this show, I totally interview them as a fan. It's a different. It's a different yes, dynamic. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end, I, look, Nancy Wilson. I'm going to put my arm around you. We're going to get a picture. I'm going to. There's no doubt about it. I am a fan. But we're not. I'm not in a band with Nancy Wilson. Yeah, I'm it would just, be entirely so, different. Yeah, but I yeah I definitely interview from a fan's perspective. So I want to ask questions that I feel like a fan would ask that that isn't the you know like when I see Cheap Trick in an interview and someone goes, "What was it like to play Budokan?" I'm like, "That's fucking a horrible, stupid question." <laughs> it was just a gig at the time. They, right. It was nothing. It was yeah. a gig. 
Yeah. Also, they've been asked. They've been asked that a question since times. 1979. A million times. Yeah. I um. I stupid. I'd rather just be a coworker. Yeah. And if something comes up organically, I will. You know, if somebody brings up a credit, I'll be mm-hmm. like, Yeah, that was interesting. What was that? What was that? What was that gig like? Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with Tony Shaloub on Monk, yeah. and but when you get your call sheet and someone that you like is on it. At home, you're super excited. I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm gushing to everybody. Yeah. And I'm thrilled. And then I get there. I'm like, and you Hi, push how it are down. You, you just I, push it down. I squash it. Um, Has anyone that you liked ever given you a compliment about something they've seen you do? Oh, um, you I'm know, sure the, it's happened. The, the, the first time it ever happened was a beauty. I was in, um, I was in New York. I was having dinner with a friend, and Harvey Firestein came over to the table. And, um, you know, Harvey Farsian is a, a, a scion of, uh, of, of New York theater and he's been around, he's got the most recognizable voice in the history of anything. And he comes over to the table and I was like, holy shit, that's Harvey Farsian. And he says hello to my friend who he knew and then he turns to me and goes, I love your work. <laughs> and I was like, that's the first time I've ever heard someone say that, uh, so a famous person say that and to hear it in that voice was pretty magical. Chef's kiss. It was pretty fucking magical, yeah. But yeah, weird little things happen. Like, you never know who's a Big Bang Theory fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Harris's son, Jared Harris, Mad Men, Chernobyl, all this heavy, The Crown, yeah. all this heavy stuff, fucking apparently loves Big Bang Theory, loves my character on it. We happen to be at the same party. My wife and I love your work. And I was like, you come to me to be baptized? What? I, that's crazy. <laughs> Thank you, Jared Harris, son of Richard. <laughs> I was, you know, it's 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 a wonderful, wonderful feeling, um, and it is something that I do not take for granted at all. And if someone starts it that way, then I'll turn it around. Sure. And at that point, I'll be like, so. When you're playing Andy Warhol, what's that like? Like, how do you make it yours? Right. Um, you know, that's when I will drop everything and we can fanboy at each other, especially because yeah. we're not on set. We're at a party. You know, yes. there's a, it's a whole different thing. And the story about your uh, getting the part in Big Bang Theory as Kripke in the, bo- in the book is, is great. It's a great read, that part. So, oh, good. So, good. Uh, but I'm not, you got to go buy the book. You got to, you, you either win one of these four copies or you're going to go buy No Job for a Man. It's uh, November eighth. Yeah. It uh, pre-order it now. Pre-order it now. Pre-order it help. Pre-ordering helps. Pre- wherever you pre-order. Books. Are you going to be doing any book signings uh, or things in around the country and in Los Angeles? I'm doing. Um, uh, and why the hell didn't you bring me a hard copy? That's a very good question. Because I'm joking. I told you about the morning I had, dude. I was cleaning I'm up. Joking. I was cleaning up shit in my living room. I'm joking. That might have been my dog. Could I'm been, half there's, joking. There's <laughs> three other people in my house. It could have been one of them. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm so sorry. There's, I'll put one in the mail. No, don't. I'm kidding. Uh, I'll buy know, one. You know the morning I had. Yes. And what was your question? Uh, will you be doing some signings yes, around the country sorry. and in LA? Um, yeah, I'm doing, uh, and November 9th, I'm at Warwick's in La Jolla. All right. Um, uh, November 10th, I'm at Book Soup. Oh, um, that's great. Everyone yeah. goes to Book Soup. Book that's Soup like a big great. deal. Book Soup is yeah. great. It is a real, I'm, I'm, uh, They've do you do some, a reading? Do you read a little I'm bit? I'm going to read, and then my friend Leslie Grossman, who's an actor of, of some renown, who's on American Horror Story and and works a, a bunch, she's going to interview me about it nice. because she 
like months ago when I first couldn't did, possibly I, be a better interview than we're doing right now. No, no. I mean, she'll do her best, she'll, but she'll, she'll fall try. short. She'll yeah. fall short. Um, and then the next week on the fifteenth, I'm back in New York and in, in, uh, in my old stomping grounds at a place called uh, the Book Club Bar, mm-hmm. which is a half bookstore, half wine bar in uh, a neighborhood. Um, it's on like. I'm going to fuck up the address, but it's on like third between A and B. It's in an area where like in high school, I'd have been like, there is not a book club and a wine bar there. <laughs> where is it? Is it behind the burning Volkswagen? No, yeah. there is no, There's no way. book club and bar mm. on third between A and B. Get the fuck out of here. But there is one now. Um, and that's why there's no middle class in New York anymore. <laughs> um, it's, um, But yeah, I'm doing that. Uh, and my friend Julie Klausner is going to uh, host that one. Oh, um, I like her. Yeah, yeah. She's really funny. What's the she's show really, she's in with Billy Eichner? What is uh, that? Um, uh, uh, oh, difficult People. Oh, like those, Difficult People those, is a great show. It's great. Those two together are just the best. That is a magnificent show that yeah. is so... Um, if New York was still like that, I'd yeah. still live there. Like I, I love people like that in a show, but I don't love people like that in real life. Does no, it's it, no, it's like watching a horror movie. Yes, it's yes. like, like I don't actually want to be in Texas for a chainsaw right. massacre, but this is an entertaining film. I don't want to be anywhere near these people in real life, but they are um, uh, they're fun to watch. Yeah, and it hit a lot of really interesting truths about as absurdist as it was. It yeah. hit some really interesting truths about living in New York and trying to pursue. An artistic lifestyle. <laughs> yes, they, there's a bit on that show where they. I'm going to tangent on difficult people because it's on Hulu and I can't recommend it enough. If you're not watching it, uh, watch it. It's 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 done now. But they did a thing where they had a gig, pretending to be screaming New Yorkers fighting at each other <laughs> in, as a tour bus pulls up, and I was like, that's only a little weirder than the gig some of us had in New York. Anyway, That's you know, great. we we were um, we did a thing one time for a, a dot com where we had to um, uh, protest a tech and con- mm-hmm. we were paid protesters at a tech convention. Yeah. Um, we were constantly doing children's birthday parties. Um, a bunch of people got into the murder mystery dinner racket, yeah. which oh. was gold in their hills. Um, uh, you know, you have strange creative jobs to keep your juices flowing and, and to keep and to food on the table. Money, yeah. Um, and, uh, the idea of them playing like crazy New Yorkers who were fighting with these accents, uh, <laughs> was magnificent. I love that so, so much. No, I was, I was half joking when I, when I said about your, uh, your friend who's interviewing you at Book Soup. But the reason I make that joke is because I've been to the Grammy Museum many times to see like someone being interviewed. Oh yeah. And I sit there and I think to myself, how do oh, I, I interview oh. someone here? Because a lot of times it's bad. I no, don't like I it. know. I and know. I'm just like I, I, I kind of do that. That's what I do. But no, I don't I know. know how to. I, how do you get in? How there? do you get in there? I know. Yeah. Well, sometimes they have people who work at a museum and are you know wonderful curators yeah. and uh, remarkable have remarkable insight and incredible historians. Yes. That's not the same thing as public speaking, no. and certainly not the same thing as interviewing, interviewing. which yeah. is a very singular skill that everybody thinks they can do mm-hmm. and about three percent of us can yeah and i i just finished a year of doing a podcast where i was interviewing character actors and i i wasn't terrible at the beginning um but i heard myself get better as the yeah, show progressed. you're, you're a, a natural performer and you've been doing this all your life so so I'm sure that but it came still, quickly. It came yeah. quickly, and I think I, I think yeah. I had my my the steep learning curve was ascended quicker than some. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's a very singular gift, 
and not everybody has it. And the yeah. number of people who think they can get up there and wing it is maddening. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Now, I've been doing this for 12 years and I didn't know how to do it 12 years ago and I've gotten better, you know, Every time, these are every good time, questions. every these time, are good, good questions. But uh, but it's always like you know my little inside, like ah, I wish I could be up there interviewing that guy right now. Now say it out loud, and we'll just try to manifest All it, right. man. I want it for you. <laughs> I want you working at the Grammy Museum interviewing. <laughs> I would love it. Yeah, I would do it. It's it's like I'm like I would do it for free. I do it for fifty dollars. Oh, 100 percent. I just want to do it. Yeah, I get it. All right, the Dead Milk Men. Uh, another one of the bands that I loved because they were really funny, um, and their lead singer Rodney uh, Linderman, who went by um, who went by Rodney Anonymous, but they would change it every album. So sometimes it was Rodney Amadeus Anonymous, sometimes it was Rodney Anonymous Mellencamp. He um, he didn't know a lot about branding. No, he did not, or or, or IP. Um, but he they were just a delight live, and they were snotty and funny. And this song, what did I put? Thing Little It's Hippies? Yes. Yeah. So the Thing Little It's Hippies was, um, it's, it, 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 it's just so funny and so silly. And, um, they also had that thing that inspired me when I got into acting and like they could play their instruments, but they were not virtuosos by any stretch and they got out and put out records and toured anyway. And I loved that. And when it was time for me to go into acting without having taken a formal scene study class, I did. I'd taken a bunch of improv classes, but I hadn't like, here's a script. You're going to learn this. You're going to, you're going to, you know, learn your blocking and everything. Um, when it came time for me to act professionally, as much as I had a certain amount of survivor guilt that I was working, uh -huh. There was a big part of me that was like, no, punk rock. We do it before we know what we're doing. Let's get out there. Uh, here's a thing that only eats hippies. Here we go. The other kind of cool thing about um, the Dead Milkmen, and you can hear it there, is that they they rarely, if ever, use their distortion pedal. They were absolutely a punk band, but they use this kind of jangly folk song, yeah. folk sound. A lot of people call them folk core or folk punk um, because the guitars are fun, but they're not what we associate with punk guitars. You know, there's just no there's no dirt on them. They're all pretty clean, a little bit of reverb. Um, and uh, they would, they were just so fun live. And I'm trying to remember the whole couplet in that ends with, I can't remember what sets up this rhyme, but later on in the song, he mentions that the thing, this monster that eats hippies chewed on David Crosby, but he spit him out, which I've always thought was <laughs> so goddamn funny. Uh, yeah, and they were, he was hilarious live. He's a great front man, charismatic, funny, um, just this weird nerd from Philadelphia who um, loved being on stage and loved doing bits between songs. And uh, yeah, it was great. Let me ask you this question because you're a professional working actor. Can I no longer say actress? What does your wife, does your wife 
want to be called an actor. My wife wants to be called an executive producer is what my wife cool. wants to be okay. called. So that's well, a whole set. I mean, as I right. mentioned, she's transitioning into writing more all often. Right. Excellent, so, excellent. Um, that's a whole different thing. Well, I haven't met anyone who is, um, I mean, I guess I hang with an older crowd. I haven't met anyone who's flat out offended mm-hmm. by it. I am endeavoring to sort of uh, gender neutral, the phrase, and use actor for everybody. Right. A like comedian. We don't say comedian anymore. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's also just like, there's there's an extra layer of condescension. Yes, given, oh, definitely. Given the way women are treated in comedy, there's anyway, an extra yes. level, level of, of patronizing in that. Yes, um, for sure. But um, can we or can we not? I'm I'm not going to play language police, but right. I, I am endeavoring to to call everybody uh, actor. A, an actor, All yeah, right. unless they really suck, in which case I, I say uh, barista. <laughs> uh, LL Cool J, nineteen eighty seven. Well, you can't grow up in New York in the eighties and not be exposed to the dawn. Not even the dawn, actually, because this is sort of this is really old school rap. This is technically middle school. Like I wasn't really into the Sugar Hill Gang or um, Melly Mel or that kind of ba-ba-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This might be the be- beginning of mainstream rap, though, kind yeah, of. Yeah, cool J. yeah. Well, well, what, you know, the, the big conversation in New York was always who created hip-hop, Queens or the Bronx. And if you go into the actual timetable, it's the Bronx, but Queens is the one who made sure Queens rap was the one that broke through. Okay. Because you have LL and you have Run DMC and then you have Tribe Called Quest and um, Nas and all these guys who broke out of uh, Queens and got onto the radio. LL's fascinating to me. For, for one thing, um, uh, this is just a fun song with a great Danger Mouse, like original Danger Mouse yeah. sample from the cartoon. Um, it's one of the great, in a, in a genre that is built around braggadocio it is really one of the great bragging songs of all time i really believe that it is yet to be topped he is every single couplet is a better boast than the last um i'm the baddest taking out all rookies so forget oreos eat cool j cookies come on it's just (laughs) delightful and it's also it's funny whether he means it to be or not it is genuinely funny but the other thing that's interesting about ll this is a huge tangent but the thing about LL that I love is that he had a business sense about him. He looks around at the landscape of rap and he sees Run DMC, who are from Queens, and he sees Curtis Blow, and he sees um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, and he goes, huh, this genre has, you know, like the the real hard guys and the party guys. It doesn't have a sex symbol, however. Yeah. Allow me to take my shirt off. <laughs> and changes the game entirely. I'm going to be the rock of rap. Even yeah. Even before the rock was the rock. No, but he was, he was kind of trying to be the Elvis. Yeah, okay. That's he was, true. He better, was like, he better. was, you know, Elvis looks around and goes, okay, you got Buddy Holly, you got Bill Haley. What can I offer? <laughs> yeah. And um, you got Roy Orbison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, um, with all due respect to Carl Perkins, um, you know, look at this jawline. And, yeah. And LL brings that to it. And then the song just slaps. It's just a fun driving song. And this is I'm Bad. Face in the sand, not the last 
So many girls on my jock, I think my phone is tapped. I mean, just <laughs> every little, um, uh, I'm the pinnacle. That means I reign supreme and I'm notorious. I'll crush you like a jelly bean. I just love it so much. It still holds up. He, the other interesting thing about Queen's rap from that era is that, and why a lot of people like me got into it is because they were the first ones to start yelling. Yeah. You know, and there isn't a little of that smooth, like, well, what you hear is not a test. Because <laughs> that we were like, okay, this is disco without the melody. I don't know what I'm listening to here. But this stuff, and especially when Run DMC show up, and I think they're they're coming up, um, with the electric guitars, um, this was, this all the rock kids, all the punk kids got into yeah. this stuff, and it all made sense, you know? It was... Um, this was pissy and angry, like the stuff we were listening to anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm, I have a very, very soft spot for that for that bigger and deafer record. Now, sadly, this is only song nine of like twenty four. We're not, know. and we're only gonna we're gonna only pick one more, and that's gonna be our playout song. Okay. So, of all the songs, you think about what. You turn around so I can. Well, no, I know I, I can't turn around, no, but I can. I, I can. I, no, I'll, I'll, let me let me look at, at my copy here, and I will I will uh, have an opinion in a moment. No. Uh, we will we will figure this out no. um, because I I want to um, I want to go out on a, on a good note here. And now this play, this playlist though, are you releasing this to the world? Like I will as, release as, it to as, the world as an unofficial or official soundtrack to this book. I it's, kind yeah, of. I'm saying unofficial because you know no yeah. no book really has a soundtrack. Right. But this is stuff that all is at least mentioned or I was listening to while this stuff was going on. In a lot of it is In your life, throughout yeah. your life. Yeah. The, um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really egotistical. I'm going to close on Egghead. The fucking balls of this guy. I am going to close on a song that I wrote and sang with my band Egghead because in my 20s, before I became an actor, I was in a punk band for a few years and the reason I want to boost this is not just to stroke my ego, but we actually have a release coming out. We have this record is coming out on vinyl for the first time ever. It was released on CD in 2000. The album is called Dumb Songs for Smart People. You can get it on iTunes. And it's streaming right now where you stream music. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, this was a song that we wrote about New York um, because in New York, uh, you have, there are palm readers in your neighborhood. There you have a choice of palm readers usually. And I had always taken that for granted, but my bandmates were from upstate. They were from Syracuse and they were struck by the fact that there were people on every corner who were professing to tell the future. <laughs> and I had just taken that for granted, which is a weird thing to take for granted. Like, oh no, I'm sorry. Every couple of blocks, there's someone who who claims to do magic, and that's just that's just that's how just it what, is. That's yeah. what it is. You know, that's like a fire hydrant. That's just a thing that you need. It's like a public utility, basically. And um, so our drummer suggested neighborhood palm readers a song title, and I I, I went with it, and uh, that's what this is. All right, that'll be the playout song. But before that, 
No Job for a Man by John Ross Bowie. You can pre-order it right now. I assume everywhere. Amazon, yeah, Barnes yeah, & Noble. Yeah, bookshop.org. Uh, yeah, it's all over the place. Comes out November 8th. Let's knock Bono off the top of that New York Times bestseller list with, I, with this book. I, I think it's counter-programming. I don't know that we're necessarily going to uh, knock um, <laughs> him off the spot, but I have a feeling that the people who buy Bono's book are not going to uh, grab mine and vice versa. We'll see, though. <laughs> if you, I'm getting, I'm going to get both. Okay, great. Yeah, why not? Yeah, well, you would, yeah. Uh, support the show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash rock solid podcast for your chance to win one of four signed galley copies signed right here by John Ross Bowie. And John, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Need to have you back again. We'll find a topic of interest that we want to talk about musically. And it will just be, uh, it, it will no longer be focused on the life of John Ross Bowie. We'll talk about a band or, or punk music we'll, in general. We'll go further out. Because it's, it's been too long and this has been really fun. This has really been really like, fun. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here in the, in the rock box. This no. rock, uh, rock room? Rock room, yeah. The rock box. Rock box is the Run DMC <laughs> song. That's, that's how that happened. <laughs> Uh, again, where can we find you on the socials? You're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I've left Twitter and I'm so much happier for having done so. Yeah. Uh, at John Ross Bowie on Instagram. All right. So follow him there. Do you have a website? I don't. No, I don't. Not really. But no. you'll tell us everything that's coming yeah. up on Instagram. And mm-hmm. any any acting gigs in the can that we can see soon? Um, looks like I'm going to be... <clears throat> Sorry. Um, it looks like I'm playing Max Greenfield's boss on The Neighborhood uh, on CBS, which is a, a fun, interesting show that um, kind of harkens back to the uh, the days of 70s sitcoms. It, it uh, handles some slightly more serious topics and does so with a fair amount of responsibility. It's a cool show. Okay. Cool well, congratulations show. on that gig. Thank you. It's got the, the name of the show again is? The Neighborhood, Max Greenfield, Cedric the Entertainer. All right. Not, not Cedric the Accountant. And... <laughs> And not Cedric, the guy who reads your meter, mm-hmm. Cedric, the entertainer. I want to make that very clear. The neighborhood. And then this song has neighborhood in the title. Look at that. I didn't even mean to do that. Neighborhood Na- Palm Reader by Egghead. Thank you so much, John Ross Bowie, for being here. And let's hear this tune. notice is shot in Miami, yes. But, thanks to a generous grant from Canadian Tire, it's not shot in Miami, Florida, but in Miami, Vancouver, which is in Canada. They do a great job with outdoor lighting, but that is the business of show. Bruce Campbell rode up to me on a very fast beach cruising bicycle. Hey, John, 
said the star of Evil Dead 2. I hear you like punk rock. Sharon wants to talk to you. Before I could manage a syllable, the writer of If Chins Could Kill threw me over his shoulder with a single arm and started to pedal away from the chalet-style single-room cabin I was staying in during filming. We approached a grand fifth-wheel trailer stacked on top of a shipping container. From inside, I could see sparks from a welder spraying past the piles of deconstructed motorcycles. Bruce, running Spider-Man cameo Campbell, set me down, leapt off his bike, then ran into the wilderness making the sounds the Three Stooges used to make when they were in a hurry. That you, Bowie? Yeah, I want to talk to you. Cagney herself. Sharon Glass didn't even bother to stop heating up the steel. You've got to write a play about the end of the century album. She put down the torch and grabbed the metal with her bare hands and used the white end to light a cigarette. I decided to do as I was told. Nothing's gonna change my world. Okay, that's good. My ears are shot, so. No, no, I, I um, uh, my left one isn't uh, really, uh, it's really just there for aesthetics at this point. Um, <laughs> you would rather have it there than not. I I was listening to um, I had a watch on the other day and I was making sure it was it was ticking and I held it up here and I was like oh fuck it's not ticking tick 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 <laughs> oh shit now just gone any any high end stuff is just missing from this left ear nope. and uh, wear your earplugs kids now would you get a hearing aid in there or would you be self conscious I'd be self conscious and it's not that bad yet. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I can't hear a watch ticking, that's not the end of the world. No, you no. know, I'm, I am, um, but I, if I'm at a party and I'm trying to hold down a conversation, there's a ton of noise around the room. That's tough. That's yeah. Hard. Like yeah. if I'm, if I'm in the laundry room, uh, that's where the kitty litter is and I'm cleaning the kitty litter and the washer or dryer is on and then Pilar is talking to me. I just yell, I can't hear you. Yeah. Don't know what you're saying. Yeah. I, um, it's not hearing aid time yet, but it, it that will come. And then there was a cricket in the house, yeah. I don't know, last year. And there, everyone in the house is going, oh, where's that cricket? Where? And I'm like, I don't know, what cricket? Oh, dear God. Couldn't hear it at all. So the reason I'm late, so are we recording? Are we doing this? I have it I have it up and running, but this isn't part of the show. It can be. All right, let the, me, let, should I do my intro? Or, you know what? No, just talk. I'll put this at the end. Sometimes I put like a little like uh, end credit sequence after the play out song. Oh, I see. So why, John, why are you late? I'm late because a couple reasons. One, um, my one of my dogs is sick and she's got a cold. And she when she sneezes and coughs and clears her throat, she sounds like a small child. So at the foot of my bed all night is what sounds to me like a small child clearing her throat. Creepy creepy as fuck and i kept waking up so i i i get out of bed and I, like, I slept horribly and jamie's like i got this go back to bed great thank you i go back to bed uh but i don't set my alarm so i oversleep a little bit and then it's just pandemonium and then i look around and the the sick dog has uh peed on my son's bed she shit in the living room oh. it's just anarchy and i'm just frantically running around trying to get everything done um and then uh 
and then just hit just enough traffic that I was like, of I'm going to be a little bit late. And I hate being late. Please, I'm like the one person who moves to Los Angeles and becomes more punctual. <laughs> Me I swear too. to God. I was, yep. I used to, I used to be late a lot in New York when I was reliant on the MTA. But the self-reliance of Los Angeles has made me incredibly punctual. I, agree. I am the first person at every table read. So this is an anomaly, Pat Francis. Please yeah. know that I am not a late I'm, person. I'm fine with it. I appreciate you coming to my home and doing this. Not so. at all. Not at all. It's a beautiful home, by the way. I, I If the listener... Uh, this is a theater of the mind, but I'm surrounded by a wonderfully eclectic mix <laughs> of signed album covers. They've, they've, I've posted pictures many times on the Twitter. We call this the rock room. It's like a thing. It is really uh, astonishing. And we were talking before we started recording about um, how some people have really deliberately obscure teacher signatures. Yes. And some people very much want you to know who, like Weird Al writes Weird Al in print, and then Yankovic is in cursive. Right. So you immediately know who that is. Um, Fee Waybill has, from the Tubes has a very clear uh, signature. Pete Townsend, that's gibberish. I can't see what that is. What is that? Is no, that... it's like a P and a T and some other scribbles. Yeah, but if it wasn't next to Pete Townsend's head, I'd have no idea who that was. Uh, Roger Waters. Is, that's terrific. And that's great. That looks That looks exactly like, but Ray Davies, what the fuck is that? Kind of all I, over the place. I guess that's a why. I don't. I mean, just it's it's just really interesting. You can tell a lot about somebody uh, by their signature. Um, the thing is, it's Pete Townsend, so he could scribble, and I would still be fine with it. No, sure, sure. No, I'm not gonna look. The, you yeah, know, the guy I, wrote Tommy. I'm not, you know, belittling <laughs> his work or anything. It's he just, also signed through a chain link fence. That's what he was doing that night, which is fine. Oh, that's interesting. He doesn't have to. He doesn't even have to come out and show his face after the show. No. Why would you, Pete Townsend? Would you? I. I think if, I. If I were Pete Townsend, yeah. Would you come out? I don't think I would. No. You just go in the bus. I think I'd, I'd go right to the bus. Yeah, I have to say, just because, you know, his mu music has meant so much to so many people for sixty years that I feel like you'd get crowded and cornered by a lot of people who would be like, "Dude, I'm Tommy. I get it. Oh, I'm boy. Tommy. Yeah, yeah, yeah." Quadrophenia speaks to me, man. You know, and I'd, I'd be like, "Okay, thank you. I'm going to be back and then in my he'd bus." He'd call you a. a a right cunt and yeah. walk away. Yeah, or, All right. or a tosser. <laughs> okay, here's the, I'm gonna do the real intro now. Okay. This is just a fun thing for people, extra. Okay. Here we go. I'm sitting in a hotel lobby in Pensacola, Florida. I had been up for about four days, filling my notebook with questions to ask PJ Souls about my favorite film, Rock and Roll High School. Does Dick Miller enjoy orange slices? How does Clint Howard like his eggs? Why all the continuity errors when D.D. yells his famous, Hey, pizza, dig in line. Okay, maybe I was just hungry. I had a complimentary bagel and fell asleep eating it. I woke up to an elderly man dressed as Deadpool rapidly approaching me. He starts screaming, Big bags, only a theory, man. By the time I realized what happened, Nightmare Theater host and Pensacon bigwig Mike Ensley has wrestled him to the floor. Apologies, sir. One can only assume this ruffian has made his way from the villages. Usually they stay out of the panhandle, but one never knows, does one? One thing I did know, I was in store for adventure. 